Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And one that will create a safe, modern, and lawful immigration system. For over 30 years, Washington has tried and failed to solve this problem. Immigration clearly the dominant issue in the country right now, and it will be going into tonight's speech. Recently, Democrats have stepped up the intensity of their rhetoric. The latest, they're denouncing the term chain migration as, you may have guessed it, racist. Look what they're doing with family unification, making up a fake name, chain. Chain, they like the word chain. That sends tremors through people. I think a lot of President Trump's rhetoric is racist. When someone uses the phrase change migration, it is intentional in trying to demonize families, literally trying to demonize families and make it a racist slur. It is not right. At least two dozen Democratic congressmen, at least one Republican, have brought illegal immigrants to Capitol Hill to watch the speech tonight, sending the defiant message that American law is irrelevant, even in the chamber where it's made. Congressman Tim Ryan is a Democrat from Ohio. His guest is an empty seat, and he's keeping it empty in honor of a constituent who has been deported. The congressman joins us tonight. Congressman, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Tucker. So your seat is empty in honor of one of your constituents who was deported, and you're trying to put a name and a face to his story, which I understand, to the issue. And But I wonder if you consider a couple other names and faces. These are your constituents also. The first is Jordan Johnson from Austintown. He died in November of an OD. He was 27. He was a member of the Laborers Union in Youngstown Local 125. He went to Fitch High School. He leaves behind his parents, three brothers, a sister, and a grandmother. Randy Steeler of Youngstown died in April. He was 55. He played guitar, rode his Harley. He spent 30 years as a truck driver. He was a Steelers fan. Those are names and faces, and I wonder why you're not keeping a seat open to honor them. Well, we've been trying to honor them with our work. If you're talking about the heroin epidemic that's been uh, raging through places like Ohio and New Hampshire and West Virginia, we've been working real hard to get President Trump not just to just declare it an emergency, but to put some real resources behind prevention and treatment. And what President Trump tried to do with his health care bill was throwing people off of health care so they would not have the opportunity to get the kind of treatment and recovery that they would need. Tucker, so you honor people through your actions, and yes. I want to honor Amur for sure. But there's there's Teamsters who aren't getting their pensions; their pension's going to get cut in half. I want to honor them too. There's coal I miners agree. who have lost their pension. I want to honor them too. Well, there's a I lot think, of people and I think that you need, should. And need I think to you should work on their behalf. I think I think you should, but you're not doing that tonight, symbolically. And I agree with you, of course. Honoring someone is much more than hey, leaving Tucker. a seat open. But that's what you're choosing to do tonight. You have one hey, seat Tucker. open, and you're leaving it open for someone who's deported, not for the people losing their pensions or your constituents who've died, the thousands of them in Ohio who died last year of drug abuse, but for someone who was deported for fraud. Why is that? Hey, hey, Tucker, you're talking about this issue. And so, therefore, this empty seat is already working because you're talking about a man who's been in this country for 40 years, American wife, four American daughters, paid taxes, was the first business person to move into downtown Youngstown when no one else would to start a business. And we've had a renaissance since then because of his investment. You think it's a good idea? 
with a with a, a case that has a lot of discrepancy to it, for this man not to have a fair hearing of of the facts of the case, which is all we asked for, you think it's a good idea that he doesn't even get a fair hearing and well, he no, gets no, no, ripped no. from our I'm community? Not, I'm, not his saying, I'm not saying America, that. America, 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 no, but hold on, hold on, wait, slow down, slow down. I'm not saying that. And I have no trouble believing he was a great guy. I think a lot of immigrants, including those here illegally, a lot of them are great people and they work hard. And if they're deported, it's sad. But it doesn't answer the question that what do you do with people who are here illegally? You're a lawmaker. If you don't like the law, you have a chance to change it. You're arguing instead to ignore it. Why? No, I'm, I'm not arguing to ignore the law. Yes, you are. I was In this particular case, I was asking for this man to have a fair hearing of evidence in his case that nobody has heard that would allow him to assimilate into the country. Yes. And this this issue we're dealing with, with, with DACA and with the Dreamers, was not an issue until President Trump made it an issue. And okay. let me just say one thing, Tucker. This is not an either-or. I am for border security. I am uh -huh. for making sure we have enough board, border patrol to make sure drugs don't get in our country. I'm for throwing felons the hell out of the country. But when you are someone who's a law-abiding citizen, you're paying taxes, you're a net benefit to the United States, I think if you pay a fine, yeah. if you pay some back taxes, and you learn English if you don't already know it, we should figure out a way in the next okay. five to ten years to get you into the country and then, then expedite people then who are waiting can, you can pass Then you can pass that law. And by the way, I'm not, look, I think what you're describing sounds like a sad situation. There are a lot of sad situations in Ohio right now. 4,000 people died of drug ODs. 400 were deported. By a factor of 10, drug ODs are a bigger deal. And you're spending know, your time and the symbolic power you have to honor someone who's deported rather than one of your constituents who died of a drug OD. Hey, and I don't hey, understand hey, why. Tucker. It's a simple question. Hey, Tucker, I've spent more time on the opiate epidemic in my career than you have Yeah, ever. not tonight. And a lot not of tonight. other people and that are going to be criticizing me. So I'm not taking a backseat to you or anybody else on the yeah, opiate okay. epidemic. You tell your president and your party to fund the damn bills we yeah. try to put forth to make sure that these people can get treatment Look, I may agree with. So let me just say, I may agree if, with you on so some of that. No, that. I may agree hey, with you. If you're so uh, but you've got a chance that, to send a symbolic message, and you're sending it. We know where your priorities treatment are. and recovery. You, okay. We know where your priorities are, Tucker. Yeah. Do Thanks, something Congress. about it. You As a former member of Congress, our next guest was actually on the floor as the president addressed his, uh, the, uh, the country in his first State of the Union address. That's right. Fox News contributor and former GOP congressman Jason Chapitz is here with an inside look of what we didn't see behind the scenes at the State of the Union. Jason, I guess when, when all these Democrats are boycotting, that leaves you a few seats. Yeah, there were a few <laughs> extra seats on the floor. Yeah, it wasn't hard finding the, it, it was, uh, and they fill it in with staff. You know, the back, they make it look at seat filler. Core comes in. They yeah. they fill in the seats with the staff. Um, but it's an honor to be on the floor of the House when the president is addressing the nation. Absolutely, and because you were right there, we had heard when the president was talking about uh, Dreamers and then shifted to MS-13. There was some. It sounded like groaning. You said it wasn't just groaning; it was hissing. There, there were times where you could hear, you know, audibly hear hissing that was going on. Hissing, like and, a and look, it was an absolute total embarrassment the democrats you're talking about mom apple pie the american flag and god we trust we first responders the military and their democrats could not get up out of their seat could and, not clap their hands and the one part i heard about what i was able to hear from the television we all were was the booing and it was brought up right here let's look open borders have allowed drugs and gangs 
to pour into our most vulnerable communities. They have caused the loss of many innocent lives. Here tonight are two fathers and two mothers. Their two teenage daughters, Kayla Cuevas and Nisa Mickens, were close friends on Long Island. That, that audio was not as bad as it was on the floor. I can tell you on the floor it was worse than that. You know, you're, you're trying to focus on the president. You want to go and recognize the people. But right. at least off to your left, at least from where I was sitting, sure. these hissing, people, hisses hiss, and boos. hissing and booing. And when you, How rare is that? Stand How up. rare is that? Look, it is rare. And look, they had a script. It is the resist movement. It doesn't matter what the president says or how he does it. And how dare the president actually do what he says. I sat on the floor for eight years and listened to Barack Obama. But we were polite. We were nice. We stood and applaud. But, when you're but you didn't stand and applaud every time. It was you don't, nobody, it's always partisan. It, yes. But when you're right on that floor, ju- justify sitting on their hands and not And you say the attitude was upbeat with the Republicans? Oh, yeah. Brian Holetz is 27 years old, an officer with the Albuquerque Police Department. He's here tonight with his wife, Rebecca. was on duty when he saw a pregnant homeless woman preparing to inject heroin. First question for you, sir. If the president's goal was to unite the people, how do you think he, he did tonight? Well, listen, I think he did the best he could. As I said earlier, I think that the, you know, the speech was probably a little bit too long, a little bit too much of a committee uh, putting it together. I think some more tighter themes might have been helpful in that regard. But I'll also say, Byron, that you know, in the end, um, I don't think there's anything he could have said that Democrats would have stood up for tonight. And I think that's a shame, too. I think that chamber was an indication of how divided the country is. The president has a lot of work in front of him. Koki, pick up on, on the point that the And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 4th of February, year of our Lord, 2018. Your humble host, as you can hear, has a cold. He whiny, but at least I don't have the flu, which is killing people. On our intro, intro, you hear Tucker talking to a liberal who actually left a seat open during the State of the Union for an illegal. Then you heard Trump honoring the police, which Slate, Splinter... Uh, a bunch of other outlets mocked them, which I don't understand why. Chris Christie summing it all up. It didn't matter what he said. Democrats weren't going to clap. They just weren't. Followed by Super Bowl Sunday, because it's Super Bowl Sunday, so that's a theme for the Vince Lombardi Trophy and NBC Sports, which is, you know, not my favorite. But at least Acosta no longer... Uh, Bob Costa, excuse me, not Al Costa, uh, no longer re- does 
football because he can't believe in it. But of course, our big thing this week is not the Super Bowl, which we'll cover at the end of the show. It's the memo. And I got a lot of sound bites. It's going to be kind of long during this section. But I think you can sum it up pretty much, as I say a lot of times, faux outrage. And, and don't worry, I'm going to go through a little bit of bull crap, and then I'm going to break it down so simple to make everybody understand, because the media doesn't want to do that. They want it to be, there's a tweet in here somebody put out that basically they're hoping, the Democrats and the media, this is so complex, people aren't going to get it, and they're just going to think it's partisan. It's just a partisan exercise. But what we learned in this memo makes Watergate look like a nothing burger, folks. This is severe shit on face value. Just the key elements that nobody has disputed. Nobody's disputed. They're spinning it. But you can't dispute it because the FBI approved this memo. Okay, remember the FBI went across it, so it's true. But the this tweet um, by Dana Loesch, and then the first soundbite I'm going to play is Rachel Maddow with some very awkward faux outrage. Pretty much summed the whole thing up. So Dana's tweet: Comey and others are angrier at the memo's release than the abuses discussed. In said memo. And that's a true statement for the media, who, as we found out, was part of the whole game. That's it. (laughs) That's all they've got. This is what all the hype was about? For what is it, two weeks now they've been hyping this? You know, I hyped that I had Donald Trump's tax returns, and then I clarified that I actually had two pages of Donald Trump's tax returns for one hour before I actually released two pages of what actually were Donald Trump's tax returns. And for a year now, people have been telling me that was unconscionable hype about Donald Trump's tax returns. But you know what? At least those actually were Donald Trump's tax returns. Even if they were boring in the end, sorry. <laughs> this thing, this was two weeks of this memo is going to end everything. This memo, have you heard about the memo? Hashtag release the memo. This memo will make Donald Trump innocent. This memo will put Robert Mueller in jail. It'll abolish the FBI. The Justice Department will have to rename itself the Donald J. Trump and Family Private Security Task Force. I mean... I can't believe this is it. It's forced and it's scripted. But going through it all, all the media did it. New York Times goes maniac over FISA memos from Stooge Nunes falls well short of scandal. Brit Hume, there's a correction at the top of this link, which, while welcome, still leaves the story an almost breathtaking slanted piece of work. This is what the AP put out. House Republicans released partisan memo on Russian probe. Then the correction, a story February 2nd about Republican memo on Russian investigation, the Association Press erroneously reported that a former British spy worked on an opposition research project was initially funded by conservative Washington Free Beacon. Though the former spy, Al Steele, was hired by a firm that was initially funded by the Washington Free Beacon, he did not begin work on the project until after the Democratic groups began funding it. They never corrected it. They never corrected it. And there's been numerous... Katie Turr, a whole bunch of people, just just lying. 
just outright lying. People attacked it. This lie that Republican fund the Steele dossier has been spewed by the media figure for months. It has been immediately debunked by, among other things, the Daily Caller. This is just not a correction for the AP. It's a self-indictment charge of gross bias. Because during the same time, FBI officials probably find no factual inaccuracies in the Nuno memo, Nunes memo. There's nothing wrong with it. It's true. And what other things do we find out that I won't cover in my wrap-up? FBI officials knew of Clinton emails weeks before alerting Congress. They just didn't report it. Andrew McCabe learned of thousands of emails found on Anthony Weiner's laptop at least a month before reporting to lawmakers. So during the process, Adam Schiff is saying uh, he made some uh, uh, discover late tonight that Chairman Nunes made material changes to the memo and sent to the White House. Changes not approved by the committee. It was grammatical errors, not the substance. Byron York just talked with House Intel source, said total changes to the memo, unknown number of grammatical errors, one change requested by the FBI due to sources, one two-word change requested by Democrats for accuracy, House Intel GOP statement suggests corrected pronunciation of Adam Schiff's last name, changed the last two letters from FF to TT. Okay, he didn't say that, but somebody else did. <laughs> Benjamin Witz, let's be blunt. The president is about to release a document the FBI is effectively calling a lie and whose release his own Justice Department describes extremely reckless. Reminds me of that time Abraham Lincoln, oh no, never mind, reporter. Every reporter was spinning this. Except for Britt Hume. Britt Hume. Notable that in the latest round of FBI DOJ objections to the release of the House Intel memo, earlier claims of dangerous disclosure of source and methods have vanished. Because they removed the one. Amanda Golden, CNN exclusive, controversial FBI agent who sent text mocking Trump, co-wrote Comey's draft letter, reopening email probe. That released. So... What were some key people before I explain it all for those that need it explained? Chuck Todd must have realized it looked bad. Here's his tweet. Not a good look by the House GOP to release cherry-picked excerpts through friendly media outlets in order to build a narrative. Only reinforces the partisan look to all of this. A truly nonpartisan act would have been complete release without cherry picks. This is what a campaign would do, not something done by someone who cared about the rule of law. The entire world. There's Chuck Todd making his partisan case. My tweet. There's the DNC staffer married to the Jennifer Palmieri wife birthday planner. But there's something more, isn't there? This isn't just partisanship. Because even in that tweet, Democrats, Democrats have been doing this all year, and I doubt you complain once. Dems do the exact same thing with Chuck Todd. He's a hypocritical hack. Those are liberals. So what is in the memo? Well, it, I was going to play a soundbite from my idol, John Gibson, who succinctly broke this down using some sound bites for Catherine Heritage and a few other people, but it's pretty simple. Fusion GPS 
we know is a liberal opposition research firm. Yes, conservatives use it, but more often than not, it's DNC using it. So the wife of Orr, you've heard his name, who works in the DOJ, works at Fusion GPS. It's kind of like the spider trails or rat lines, we should say, in the Army between the media and the DNC. You can follow every news network back to the DNC. People that work there now work for the DNC. People that work for the DNC now work for the media. So she works there. So Hillary commissions them to get opposition research. Brian Fallon starts floating this Russia, Russia, Russia thing. Because by this time, my guess, to be quite honest, they start seeing their polls. And they knew they were in trouble. I never understood why the Russian thing was such a big deal and why Hillary Co. was fighting so hard and getting dirty and the media was getting super dirty with all the releases at one time, trying anything to stop Trump from winning. But they had to know in the polls. So Obama, who says on camera because he's a lying sack of shit, I don't want to get involved, he allows him to try to go get a FISA warrant. The FISA judge says, get fucked. I'm sure somewhere in there was, this is a campaign, these are Americans. I'm hoping, because he is a judge. But I think more often than not, because the more I'm reading about this guy, he's a partisan hack appointed by Obama. No proof. So GPS gets steel. A guy known to Orr, known to the media, known to a lot of people as a never-Trumper. They all know this. He goes out and makes up this bullshit memo. Now, there's an interesting thing that normal Americans don't know. I never knew this. Maybe you did. If you did, you get a cookie because you're more informed than I am. Intel communities can get warrants for circular reporting. And what is circular reporting? Leak shit to the media. Media prints. Now that gives them the right to take it to a court and go, well, we have these reports at WAPO, at CNN, at MSDNC, Chuck Todd show, that Trump is in cahoots with the Russians to rig the election. That's allowed. And then they can get a FISA warrant. So... All these people who are all connected, or McCabe, or his wife, Brian Fallon, Jennifer Palmieri, Hillary, all these people are connected. They leak it to the press, who's more than willing to print this shit. More than willing to talk about it on air, and then have BuzzFeed jump on the grenade and put it online. Because they see that, and they've set it up this way, they go back and get the FISA warrant approved by the Barack Hussein Obama hack judge. And they start wiretapping another campaign. Now we're going to freeze frame for a second and go back to the media saying Trump's a liar. The media saying that Trump's a liar, liar, liar. Pants on fire, politifact, everybody over the wiretapping. There's been no mea culpas by any network on the fact that now this document shows there was wiretapping. FISA warrant obtained wiretapping. 
So just make sure you put that in your little argument box when you get with the stupid liberal. <clears throat> so, knowing Fusion GPS knows it's bullshit, Hillary knows it's bullshit, FBI knows it's bullshit, media knows it's all bullshit, they now get their FISA warrant and they roll out and do whatever the fuck. The catch is, within it, they never say how they obtained it. They're just using the circular reporting. Here's the reality, folks. Write it on a chalkboard and see all the players. FBI, DOJ, President, Campaign, Media. They cooked a way to illegally wiretap, not just a campaign, but an American citizen. Then, after it gets out, in this memo, you'll see they just say it's a partisan memo. They're then attacking Trump because McCabe got booted. FBI did that because now McCabe's in this because they knew. They make it look like he got Orr booted. But Orr got booted because he's a partisan hack who allowed this illegal FISA wiretap because he illegally obtained it without saying where they got it. They knew it was bogus. And the very judge who allowed the FISA warrant locks down everything else so you can't get it. Now it's state secrets. Because he knows he looks bad. So the very people who cooked up an illegal way to actually spy on a campaign in America of American citizens are now spending it's all bullshit, yet reporting simultaneously there's no factual errors in it. The FBI said it. So for the resistance members, you can't say the FBI is the best institution in the world and say Trump's dragging down the FBI and all those great, brave people. And then say this limp memo is a lie. But that's exactly what they're doing. That's exactly what they're doing. I rarely quote Julian Assange. But since he broke most of this bullshit, I'm going to read his tweet. Let's put this in the simplest possible terms. Hillary Clinton provided unsubstantiated and false information to Barack Obama, who then used it as a basis to spy on real Donald Trump during the presidential election. This is treason, and people need to be prosecuted. In that, I find Rudolph Contreras was the FISA job who issued a warrant to spy on Carter Page because of a Yahoo News article on a phony dossier. Guess who appointed Contreras to the FISA court? Barack Hussein Obama. So before we play the spin, the Federalist has an article that pretty much backs up what I just said. Seven biggest bombshell. Number one, FBI used news articles sourced by Steele to corroborate the dossier. FBI knew Steele was paid by the DNC, Hillary Clinton, and chose not to tell the court. Without the Steele dossier, the FBI wouldn't have been able to get the warrant. FBI spied on Trump Association for nearly a year. Number five, FBI dismissed Steele as a source soon after it secured the FISA warrant. Six, FBI did not tell the court it had dismissed seal, Steele. Seven, DOJ official wife was getting paid by Fusion GPS. Simultaneously, Mer- Molly Hemingway, Adam Schiff's version of events are frequently false or missing key details. 
Adam Schiff is portrayed by many in the media as a straight shooter. His record as reality is of fanning the flames of every single Trump-Russia collusion allegation out there, and he's been doing it. He's been leaking all this shit. So that's a second point I want to make sure you understand. They are saying Trump has overstepped the rule of law for 18 months. Democrats have been leaking everything. There's been information getting out there that we showed last summer literally freaking outed a fucking CIA agent. Valerie Plame style. I didn't hear any outcry. There's no Scooter Libyan jail. So it's in our article, one, omitting facts about a committee business. Been doing that from day one. Two, false statements about the committee. Three, false information about Nunes. In this is a nice little tweet. I don't think people appreciate Adam Schaaf's incredible talent to sound above the fray, nonpartisan, and more in sorrow than an angle while being hyperpartisan. He's better than Harry Reid was and almost as good as Tom Daschle. It's true. Simultaneously with the memo, WikiLeaks, huge exposure. These are the six Republicans that Hillary Clinton bribed. Ryan, Florina, Keish, Bush, Graham, and McCain. And on the horizon, Chuck Grassley memo comes next. Questions surround FBI knowledge of Steele dossier in the media. In the article, Democrats, media, and their aggregate DOJ, FBI, intelligence community are finally seeing accountability with the HPSCI memo now in the rearview mirror and the content in the bloodstream of the U.S. electorate. Grassley's memo is next. Towards the end of December, FBI provided the Senate Judiciary Committee, Chuck Grassley, with FBI investigation documents from the contact with Steele. According to most reasonable timing, we can discover Steele met with FBI officials sometimes around October 1st, 2016. From the UK lawsuit against Steele, Steele admits to having shopped in Clinton Steele dossier to the U.S. media outlets in person in late September, New York Times, WAPO, New Yorker, and CNN, and mid-October, New York Times, WAPO, and Yahoo News, per instruction from Glenn Simpson of Fusion GPS. They actually have PDF documents from the Britain case. Additionally, in October 2016, Steele briefed Mother Jones via Skype, From the UK court records, at least two briefings of the reporters contained five outlets took place prior to the FBI using the Clinton Steele dossier in their Pfizer application. The late September briefing with the New York Times, Washington Post, Yahoo News, New Yorker, and CNN took place prior to Steele meeting with the FBI. The implication there is that FBI had to know had to know prior to the October 21st court application that the information they were presenting the FISA court was being heavily shopped to media outlets. This would be a immediate disqualification if it was Obama. They didn't say that. I did. Steele then lies to the House committee that he never met with the media. But there's proof. The memo then notes the FBI relationship with Christopher Steele was terminated 
and nobody knew about it. The question is, did the FBI submit the FISA application under false pretense? Did the FBI actually know Christopher Steele was shopping the dossier to the media prior to the FISA court submission? The memo gives the FBI the benefit of the doubt by preparing the FBI was unaware they were being lied to, which appears to have been turned over to Senate Chairman Grassley. So Grassley's memo is coming. And when you break it down, this is worse than Watergate ever was. They cooked a scheme to illegally wiretap an American citizen. Take the campaign out. Which is just horrible. It's just horrible that an opposing party could do it. But as a normal American in the flyover states, he did it with the IRS. How as a normal citizen wouldn't you believe he'd do it with the FBI, NSA, CIA? How would you not think he would do it? He did it. Not a single person was held accountable for the the IRS scandal. They all pled the fifth, got retirement with pay. I mean, seriously, folks. This isn't partisan. That's the amazing thing. Today you're going to tune in to meet the press, face the nation, this week. They're going to spin it because they look bad. They were part of it. They knew exactly what was going on. They peddled it for their sheer hate of a candidate. They just don't like Trump. And they illegally obtained a FISA warrant. Knew it was an illegal obtain. Never reported it once. But to close this segment out, this is all you've heard. Tonight, that disputed secret memo revealed as President Trump overrules the FBI. What it says and doesn't say about the feds, the Trump dossier, and a British spy. Unprecedented disclosures blasted by James Comey as dishonest and misleading. A wild day in Washington. But we, of course, start with the firestorm raging in Washington tonight, hours after President Trump declassified a Republican-crafted memo that tries to make the case that the FBI played fast and loose in its gathering of evidence in the Russia investigation. The president made the politically charged memo public despite warnings from the head of the FBI that it would be a mistake. And tonight he's using it as ammo in his latest salvo against his own Justice Department. The release of this memo comes amid months of relentless attacks by President Trump against the very people who are leading the Russia investigation. This memo is not a legal document, not an intelligence finding. By midday, that memo, first leaked to conservative media outlets, was posted by House Republicans. Democrats in the intelligence community argue the memo is inaccurate and misleading. Its release unprecedented undercutting trust between the intelligence community and members of Congress that oversee it. I'm Hallie Jackson in Washington, where that four-page memo is now a partisan grenade. So is the memo evidence of an anti-Trump conspiracy or an attempt to smear the special counsel's Russia investigation? Depends who you ask. Democrats argue the memo is filled with factual errors and could bring the U.S. to the brink of a constitutional crisis. Some Republicans see it differently. But there's a much more important historical point to be made here, and that is that, that we may well have not seen such dark days for American democracy and its institutions uh, since the days 
of Joe McCarthy. And in the case of McCarthy, it was a senator, uh, not the president of the United States, who was a demagogic authoritarian. And what we are seeing here is a demagogic authoritarian president who is using this red herring to contend that there is a witch hunt going on. Hopefully, the Republican Party, which has gone along with him in lockstep, will get hold of their senses. And remember, it was the Republican Party who was always toughest on the Russians and what they were doing. And if they cannot see how Donald Trump has been manipulated and how Donald Trump is using this to avoid legitimate investigation and to poison the institutions of American democracy, uh, we are at a crossroads in this country. That Watergate established in the United States versus Nixon that no one in this country is above the law, including the president of the United States. Right now we have the unprecedented situation of one of the major political parties essentially asserting and backing the president in showing and believing that he is above the law. In this, well, in this well, memo, so does that. It simply doesn't. Why didn't you release the Democratic Minority Report, the 10 pages that they Be- wrote, wrote it, rebutting many of the points you're making right now? By you know, draw their own so many, so many of your colleagues, former members, current members, they say what you did. You voted against releasing the Democratic report. All of the Republicans did along strict party lines. You voted in favor of releasing the Republican report. No, Congressman. no, that's not true. We voted. Uh, we voted to release the Democratic report. We voted to there release this to the House of Representatives. Yeah, but not at the same Every time Republican as the Republican. Did. You wanted to hold off. You wanted it to go through what they call a scrubbing process. Uh, you wanted yeah. to. You voted in favor of releasing the Republican report right away. Uh, you didn't vote in favor of releasing the Democratic report right away. Well, we went through the same process with both of them. There were two votes, votes, and they were both strictly along party lines. Wolf, why are we talking about that instead of talking about the contents of this memo? This is a remarkable Because the contents of the memo, Congressman, the contents of the memo uh, are being seen as uh, as political. Uh, so th- this is seen by the Ameri- at least a big chunk of the American public, Congressman, as being a politicized moment in American history, which you could have avoided by simply releasing both memos well, at the same time, which has, always, which has always been the case. Okay, look, we can talk for all afternoon, if you want, about whether the memos are separated by a few days. Why aren't we talking about what's in these memos? Congressman, I know you're okay. an honorable uh, an honorable member of the House Intelligence Committee, and I'm sure you must be very upset that your committee has now been blown apart uh, going back many, many decades. I've never seen the House Intelligence Committee so partisan as it has become over these past several can I just point out something that my our colleague Shimon has just has just texted to me, which I think is an important point, and you can probably speak to this. And and his point is that informants are not always as clear as the snow. You know that just the opposite. Just the opposite. So you know you want to say well, uh, Steele was dealing with Democrats or was paid by Democrats. I mean, you can get good information from sources. Who come at you with a with a bias one way or another? Can't oh, you? So a, that's the whole nature of these things. In, Remember, but it's com- you're confirming actually, information. If you're paying an informant to give you information in a criminal organization, trust me, that person is committing or has committed crimes prior to that in order to get there. So their veracity is always a little bit in question. That's why you would filter in other 
aspects right. to this, of which they don't tell we you. We don't know exactly. about that. Exactly. exactly. So I think that's a he is back in Arizona dealing with treatment uh, for cancer, but he is uh, speaking out. And here's what he said. He said just now, the latest attacks on the FBI and the Department of Justice serve no American interests, no parties, no presidents, only Putin's. The American people deserve to know all the facts surrounding Russia's ongoing efforts to subvert our democracy, which is why Special Counsel Mueller's investigation must proceed unimpeded. Our nation's elected officials, including the president, must stop looking at this investigation through the warped lens of politics and manufacturing partisan sideshows. If we continue to undermine our own rule of law, we are doing Putin's job for him. That is some strong stuff, David Talley. It sure is, and thank you, John McCain, for bringing this back to what this is actually about. What it was supposed to be about. On our democracy. That's actually what where this all stemmed from. I have a feeling uh, if John McCain heard the president's word, he might think uh, disgraced or people that should be ashamed of themselves uh, should apply elsewhere, not where Donald Trump is applying it. Uh, here, here's uh, the reality. Gloria's talking about this, this effort to discredit the Mueller investigation, which is clearly what this is about. The, to Donald Trump, this is, but that's a months-long effort. And this is another data point for him. But it, what he is missing here is, to Shimon's point, the severity of what you do when you are saying to your law enforcement agencies that you should be ashamed of yourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that, this, this isn't just another data point, should not be just another data point in Donald Trump's efforts to discredit. And by the way, the months-long effort at discrediting the Mueller investigation is working. Yeah. It's working with Republicans. It's working to help muddy the waters as, as Donald Trump wants to. It puts everything in the Russia realm into this partisan lens that John McCain is arguing. It this morning, with the White House poised to authorize the release of that controversial GOP memo against the wishes of the FBI, President Trump is ignoring questions. Mr. President, what about the FBI director's grave concerns? Don't you trust him? This is an extraordinary attack from the president. Yes, good morning, George. The president is on the attack, just tweeting. The top leadership and investigators of the FBI and the Justice Department have politicized the sacred investigative process in favor of Democrats against Republicans, something which would have been unthinkable just a short time ago. Rank and file are great people. The president in that tweet said it's kind of unthinkable what he's accusing the leadership of the FBI and the, and the Justice Department of doing. But what's really unthinkable here is this kind of open warfare, open attack from the president. We keep talking about uncharted territory. And these tweets this morning... It's, it, 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 it stunned me. I mean, we were, we were planning a different show mm -hmm. <laughs> this morning until this came in around 640. Because as I said to John, everybody behind the scenes at the White House, they knew this was coming, but they were trying to lower the tensions, and the president just ratcheted it right up. In the year of all-out war between the president of the United States and the American justice system, this latest battle might reach a new height altogether. President Trump appears now to be ready for war with his own FBI director. It's over whether or not to release a partisan report dressed up as an intelligence document. It's authored by the staff of Trump's chief congressional defender, Devin Nunes. The battle lines are as clear as they are astounding. Congressman, this is extraordinary, and I wonder, does, does the president understand what he's doing here, basically trying to crash into the very people protecting this country's security? Is the chairman of your committee working for the United States Congress and fulfilling his oath, or is he working for the White House? I'm they afraid he never the left thing. the transition team. 
I, he never left the transition team, but just by uh, his actions. I think, I think in the long term they're going to come to regret this as a party. I think it's going to irreparably harm in the near term and long term the Republican Party. We're going to talk about a constitutional crisis, but it seems to me the Constitution has always been turned on its butt. We've got a Congress, a chairman of a committee on intelligence, which has historically been a bipartisan committee. And usually even membered members. And they're basically there to work together and to try to find out if our intelligence committees are doing their job. And it's been turned into a tool of a president who's playing defense. Can you imagine the outrage from Republicans? Had it been Hillary Clinton who were president right now and had done the kinds of things Donald Trump has been doing. And Chelsea. I mean, just imagine, just flip it around and say, suppose they'd done anything like this. When you lay it out like that, and we will tonight, it's staggering to see how Republicans continue to put part. This has made me change my media section from now on. When I do my media mash, I'm calling it the Pravda mash. This is no different than the Soviets. I used to read the Russian Pravda daily release. It read just like our media right now. Under a Democrat, the dear leader, the great person. Any opposition is horrible. So more to follow on the memo, because, once again, I I am no Trump supporter. But I am a rule of law supporter. And right now, Barack Hussein Obama's administration has been found to be above the law. I want to call in that fucking wahoo from all those movies to kick some fucking ass. Steven Seagal. I want him to go kick ass. They did what they can do. But here's the reality. They're allowed to. Democrats can do whatever they want because, especially a black Democrat, because the media doesn't even report it. They don't report it. They don't dig. They don't do anything. They have admitted it's good to be doing investigative journalism again. Because when it's home team, they ignore it. Fuck it. We know nothing about the IRS. We know nothing about Fast and Furious. We knew nothing about Iran until after he left office. We knew nothing about Obamacare until it was a law. And the same's happening with Trump. All the leakers, the hangovers from the Obama administration, they have been breaking the law worse than Scooter Livery could ever dream of doing. We've had release of CIA agents. Nobody's held accountable. Some more to follow. I'm going to play you a soundbite. And this is a local thing, but there's a reason why I'm doing it. AP, ABC, failed to tag national mayor in affair with bodyguard as a Democrat. Wednesday afternoon, the Tennessean reported that the national mayor, Megan Barry, who we reported on the show, because she wants to turn America, uh, Nashville into New York with Sanctuary City and all this stupid shit, disclosed she had an extramarital affair with a police officer in charge of her security detail. The paper story tagged Barry as a Democrat in their fourth paragraph, but the national story seen at the Associated Press and ABC News Have not. They never said the word Democrat. That's why I'm doing this. It's pretty simple. The reason why is because home team. I've told you for two years, when my chocolate-loving city, Nagin, went to jail, never said Democrat. Menendez, never said Democrat. 
Wiener never said Democrat. Really look at your mind. That is the subtle bias in our media. When a Republican does something heinous, you know he's a Republican. Republican senator is how they lead off. When it's a Democrat, Nashville mayor caught fucking her subordinate. But this got two punches to this story. Listen to her mea culpa. Embarrassed, and I am sad, and I am so sorry for all the pain that I have caused my family and his family. And I know that that God will forgive me, but that Nashville doesn't have to. And I hope that I can earn their trust, and I can earn your trust back, and that you will forgive me. I know that there have been several questions today about some of the finances, the travel, and the overtime. Let me just take a moment and talk about that, and then I'm going to take all your questions. Uh, as a mayor, one of the things that is part of what you have is detail, and, and detail is with you all the time. I think that you can look at my schedule since the time I've come into office. I have had a very aggressive schedule. I'm out in the community, and that's reflected with the overtime that has been billed to my detail. The police set the policy for the kind of detail coverage that a mayor gets, uh, and, um, and I have been the recipient of that. I have taken trips that have also included detail. Those trips have been always for business. They have included trips to conferences. They have included trips to uh, uh, best practices, looking at transit, looking at uh, soccer stadiums, and every single one of them was a business-related trip. Now, once again, I just want to say how sorry I am, how embarrassed I am that I did this, how sorry I am for the pain that I have caused. Did you catch it? My God has forgiven me. Nashville doesn't have to. That's what she said. Because you know why she said that? Instantly after it, the local media here rolled out everybody that works for her, and they said she shouldn't be fired. Chief of police was carted out day one. Of course he's going to say that. He fucking works for her. But I want to make sure we understand and totally grasp she fucked a subordinate. This is me too. And if we really want equality and all these pussy hat wearing fuckheads really want equality, a female superior fucking a subordinate should be the same as a male. You really want equality. Because what you've been saying for years is the power structure forces people to do it to save their job. Well, the same thing happened again. She was married. He was married. But as I tweeted on this locally numerous times, just like abortion, fucking around on your loved one. Well, guess what? That's a doggone badge of honor. 
to some tweets on the memo, and then we're going to go into our fire for effect. Bet Midler, Bet Midler, if no one leaks the Democrat version of the fucking memo, memo I will be livid. So they, they're coming up with their own. Schumer and company sent this whole thing out basically saying, we got our better one, which is all about lies. Sally Cohn, imagine for a second if Obama declassified a memo against the STEM recommendation, uh, stern recommendations of the FBI and DOJ probably tried to undermine an investigation. Republicans would have gone bonkers. Derek Hunter, old, I want to know everything, new. We don't want to know stuff that is leaked unless it's from Adam Schiff. Nancy Pelosi, long, drawn-out bullshit. Katie Turr, another reminder, the Steele dossier was first paid by conservative outlet Washington Free Beacon. That's a lie. She doesn't care. Ezra Klein, take the memo at face value. The Steele dossier was part of why Carter Page ended up under surveillance. The Steele dossier was partly funded by Trump opponents. So what? The question is whether laws were broken. Oh, okay, that's a good spin. Stephen Miller, so what is a good look for a guy who claims it's his profession to explain things? Katie Pavlich, so the Clinton campaign worked with foreign spy to develop a salacious and phony dossier that Donald Trump gave the dossier to the FBI and they used it to open an investigation to obtain a FISA warrant to spy on the Trump campaign. Unreal. All along, it was a Clinton campaign, some in the Obama DOJ and Fusion GPS they were colluding with a foreign entity to influence the election. The exact thing, same thing they've accused Trump of doing. And the onion. FBI warns Republican memo could undermine faith in a massive, unaccountable, government secretive agency. Everybody asked, does the real world resemble the onion or the other way around? Yeah. Yeah, I misrouted those. It was supposed to be in front of Mayor Barry, but whatever. I had to get them. And last but not least, because I don't want to get caught in fire for effect, which is about the State of the Union, which was going to be our leadoff, but the memo released. They asked General Kelly what he thought of the California teacher. He said what I would love to say, and he was criticized for it. The teacher can go to hell. Good on him. One thing's pretty clear, John, he did not unify that chamber tonight. George, I've never seen anything like it. Right now, the Democrats have basically run for the exits. And George, you have to think about those dozens of dreamers in the audience tonight. What they are thinking as they hear the president talk about this, as they see the divisions there on the floor, concerned that they could face deportation come the beginning of March, and what the dreamers were thinking when they heard the president say that line that will likely be one of the most memorable lines of the speeches when he said Americans are dreamers too. Also, again, sort of stoking, I think many would say, racial tensions by bringing up this issue of kneeling during the national anthem. Well, what I was thinking as, he, as I was listening to the speech is if the president met with me after the speech, 
speech, I would say to him, well, that was how not to give a unifying speech. So let's go back and give the unifying speech. As everybody has mentioned, he mentioned Obamacare, the ending of Obamacare, divisive. Mentioned the tax cuts, divisive. Mentioned the whole rift on immigration, divisive in the national anthem, divisive. Calling this a healing speech is almost like calling going on a diet by drinking a Diet Coke and eating a pizza. That's as much of a healing speech as this was. Um, what you saw tonight was President Trump, I think, and with one hand reaching out his hand to Democrats, and with the other hand uh, holding up a fist. And this is almost the conundrum of Donald Trump. Um, in addition to more traditional Republican uh, positions, such as tax cuts, uh, talking about strong borders, etc., there is in his Trump Republicanism, nationalism, populism, whatever you want to call it, room for Democrats to work with him. He talked about uh, changing trade deals. He talked about lowering the cost of prescription drugs, uh, spending money on infrastructure, paid family leave, prison reform, a path to citizenship for dreamers. There is that there. But by the same token, I think President Trump doesn't quite necessarily understand just how offensive many Democrats in that chamber are going to find some of the things he proposed and some of the things he said uh, in terms of uh, there are Americans who are dreamers too, etc. Some of the, the, the things he said about immigration um, that are going to turn off a lot of people in that chamber. Well, I, I want to echo something that Jake said, because on the one hand, the speech could be kind of sunny and moving when you talked about some of the anecdotes and the people who were who were in that gallery and then he would turn quite quickly to uh, America first to saying Americans are dreamers too to uh, policies that are that are quite divisive and I think he's gotten a little more uh, adept uh, at doing this and we see that in this speech but um, I think the question that people will have is what's going to happen tomorrow uh, who is Donald Trump going to be? And uh, my producer, Brian Rokas, came up with this, which is that after the president gave his joint address on February 28th, which a lot last year, which a lot of people thought was great, on March 4th, he tweeted about Obama wiretapping him in, in Trump Tower, and he lost all of that goodwill uh, very quickly. So we're going to have to see uh, how this how this plays out. But there's a lot in there that particularly on immigration, it didn't seem to me like he was extending much of an olive branch to Democrats. I thought you oversold what they told us today at that lunch. I, I, I expected a lot more actual outreach. It was a few things at the beginning, but then it was, you know, he didn't lead with a conciliatory tone on immigration. He didn't lead with a conciliatory tone on Gitmo. So he led with the, let me paint the picture of the of this mythical immigrant criminal here that I want everybody to get fired up about. Um, I have to say, I felt like they forced too much applause. And it, the speech dragged. The president's problem is that's not the Donald Trump we see every day. And so while he can sound presidential in a moment like this, because it's not what we're used to seeing, I don't know if it has the same I think that, some, that some like may read this as tired, some may read this as measured. I mean, he was subdued. His manner was interesting. He was subdued, almost preserved. It was long. It was very long. Uh, query how many people stayed up all night to watch this. The president has a habit of clapping for himself, which was somewhat distracting and a little strange to listen to. But the fact checkers are really going to be busy. When he talks about clean coal, when he brags about the tax cut, again, exaggerating the facts and not pointing out that the individual tax cuts expire, whereas the corporate tax cuts are permanent. The other thing is, there's been no mention from this administration after the initial 
uh, comments about what happened in Las Vegas, about what happened in Texas. We had 11 school shootings in the last couple of weeks. That's a national crisis in this country. And I've said this before, I'm a gun owner, but we've got to do something about what's going on around the country, and they don't want to go there. And I, I, I really do think that that is an enormous absence on the part of all Republicans, not just the president, and a lot of Democrats as well. You know, look, this State of the Union um, only becomes relevant if something, you know, if, if he can have a big success quickly. And immigration is his one opportunity to have a big success quickly. But I have to tell you, I think his rhetoric last night set things back, did not advance the ball forward. Because while on immigration, while the tone was an attempt at bipartisanship, the way he sold immigration really offended a lot of Democrats that were listening in, in that room. And I actually think he made that, made that situation harder today than it was before this. Yeah, First Lady, there she is, uh, Melania Trump, uh, walking down the stairs. Uh, uh, and, you know, let, let me bring Jake and, and Kate in. Kate, uh, first of all, uh, you've been reporting she did come up separately from the president. Drive up separately this evening from the White House to the Capitol. She accompanied the guests that were invited to sit in her box tonight. We do hear from the White House, however, Wolf, that they will be driving home together. The president and the first lady will share the ride home. Um, but it is, again, bucking tradition that she drove up on her own. Is there anything uh, you want to tell us about her outfit? You know, she's wearing a cream-colored suit there, which I, I find uh, interesting. Remember last year, the uh, female Democratic senators all wore white, uh, a bunch of them, to protest Trump's uh, policies against women. So it, it, there was even a hashtag, women wear white. Listen, it could be a total coincidence, but I just find... Um, a lot of the stuff she does these days to look at it twice. Maureen Dowd <laughs> called her the Slovenian Sphinx. Everybody looking at her and trying to decipher the mysteries. Mis exactly. Very mysterious. Message tonight, we're told, now it could be wrong, is a unifying message. Who is going to believe that somebody who has succeeded That's through division problem. all of a sudden wants to be a unifier when he just refused to sanction Russia and this memo? And wrong. not only that, you have to look at the stagecraft of who they're bringing as guests. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're bringing sort of victims of illegal immigrants right. to sit in, you know, with you, that that's not a unifying message necessarily. Lawmakers plan to bring guests to the State of the Union whose lives have been unduly impacted by President Trump's policies. Joining us now, Democratic Congresswoman Debbie Dingell and her guest for tonight, Cindy Garcia. Now, we told you the story about her husband, Jorge, deported to Mexico earlier this month after living in the U.S. for 30 years. Cindy and her husband were recently on New Day, um, and it is good to have you both. Uh, there's a lot of news to talk about, and you know what? I don't care. How's your husband? And I, I think that that just is going to make it really hard to get this deal done. I mean, to a certain extent, the president needed to talk to conservative hardliners in his own party who have kind of decided they think this proposal is amnesty. So he needed to lay down some of those markers for them. Uh, but, you know, it's not lost on Democrats that, you know, David Duke and Richard Spencer are seizing on that line, Americans are dreamers too, and saying thank you. I mean, they are reading the context, you know, you guys were uh, alluding to at the top of the show very seriously. And and I just, right now, I, I came away from the speech thinking, okay, tonight a DACA deal is harder than it was uh, when we walked into the chamber. Yeah, David Duke, of course, thanking the president uh, oh, on Twitter. I, look, I mean, he did again push this pathway to citizenship for more than a million dreamers and would-be dreamers in this country, and then he followed it by saying Americans are dreamers, too. 
So that was such, I mean, that stood out to me, one of the most things from last night. Right. And of course, nobody ever said that Americans aren't dreamers, too. This is something that he's it definitely was the doing for the his base. Right? Yeah. Well, it's something for his base. It's something that you hear from white nationalists. David Duke praised him saying this, thanked him for saying this. This is something that you're hearing. Okay, that intro, you know, let's be honest. You expected that, right? You expected that's what they would do. I'm going to close this segment out on a soundbite for what they did for Obama. And once again, that's for all you people out there who believe there's no media bias, even though the first section about the memo pretty much shows there is. That is what you heard for Trump. You'll hear what they said for Obama, and it's disgusting. So what's the rest of it about? I didn't expect them to discredit their own poll. CNN discredits its own poll showing overwhelming positive reaction. It's an amazing example just how out of touch they were with the American people. CNN prefaced the release of their very positive State of the Union reaction poll by claiming it wasn't representative of the nation. It's not representative of the country overall. It is a poll of people who watch the speech. Well, who watches the State of the Union speech? Fans of a person giving it. Did you ever hear that under Obama? No, you didn't. CBS. They didn't pump theirs. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't read it. 48% positive on CNN. CBS, 75% approved. Tweeted it, didn't talk about it. Vox, fact checks Trump's number on black unemployment, finds them to be accurate. HuffPo, Trump's first State of the Union was 77% smile. They didn't talk about it again. CBS buries its poll that shows 43% of Dems liked it. Dems. Within that poll, overwhelming Republican-like, independent was a majority, a majority. Because once again, unlike Obama and the media, America's kind of into the America first concept. We, we kind of like America. We don't hate it, which you do. So, you know, of course they're going to like it. So during it, Representative Brenda Lawrence, Democrat from Mich Michigan, what was she doing? Playing Candy Crush. Yeah. Playing Candy Crush. They didn't clap for America. They sat on their hands. They booed. And they played Candy Crush. Best line in here. Not all Democrats snub Trump's speech with some red state Democrats up for re-election standing to applaud. I've seen it both sides when Obama gave speech Republicans... Fox and Friends on Wednesday. That's disrespectful. And last night was disrespectful. He called out his people. New York Times in one article said the State of the Union is strong. Next article, petulant New York Times takes on State of the Union. Trump rarely lets details get in the way of a good story. Obama was allowed to just get up there and say whatever the fuck he wanted. So was Clinton. But... You know, that, that's the State of the Union. It's like a dream catcher. It's all a bunch of bullshit, and they ain't going to do none of it. Nobody goes back and goes, well, what did he do on a State of the Union? Unless he's Obama. And the first couple, they went back and lied and said, well, that's partly true. Yeah, he did this. Pelosi was all over Twitter with resting bitch face. There's actually a scene of somebody getting up to clap on something about America. It was pretty much pro-America, and they told him to sit the fuck down. I'm not making that up. 
It wasn't a good look. I'm just saying, it was not a good look at all. I'm not going to play all the other competing shit, but I will cover this article. Angry celebs rage during State of the Union. Schittler is a disgrace. Yeah. As President Trump delivered his State of the Union address, Hollywood expresses outrage. Star Trek Next Generation douchebag Will Wheaton. Tonight, Schittler is going to read a speech filled with lies and falsehoods. He will say things that sound reasonable but won't mean any of them. Pundits will declare him to be super totally presidential for real this time. Do not be fooled. He's a liar, racist, and a disgrace. I didn't hear anybody doing that, Will. They're on your team. They were part of the memo. Patton Oswalt. Oswalt. Uh, Melania checks to see if the Marine beside her is armed. No pistol in the holster. Deep sigh, not tonight. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Kathy Griffith, all I want to hear tonight is Stormy State of the Union. I'm pro-Stormy. Trying to get herself back. Linda Sassau, Republicans are plotting that they strip millions of Americans of their health insurance, including children. Rosie O'Donnell and John Cusack encourage members of the Congress to walk out. And even those celebrities like Takai, Moore, O'Hare, and Lee Delari, which once again, remember, Takai is a sexual abuser, but okay, we got a segment that's going to blow your mind today. <clears throat> Um, decide not to watch the speech. The reason were certainly original. Takai, I'm not watching some frothing orange gorilla read off a teleprompter. I've got better things to do, like alphabetize my spice cabinet. Jeffrey Wright reiterated the sentiment by using different insults. Can't even watch this vile, deceitful fraud and his bizarre cult of self-interested psychopath. Albert Brooks, I was thinking about the a-hole yelled, you lie to Obama. I wonder if the whole Congress is going to do that in unison tonight. Larry Whitmore wanted Trump dentures to come loose. Jim Carrey posted a painting of Abraham Lincoln weeping. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to, as a caption. Be- Billy Eichner, the president is a lying, incompetent, racist, misogynist, sack of shit. They're running out of things. This sounds normal. Josh Groban, I don't care if it's bipartisan tradition. All these standing ovations, except for the honored, are dumb. Michael Keaton, I already know the State of the Union ain't good. It was pretty damn good about a year and a half ago. Nancy Pelosi, during it, when she wasn't being a bitch face, dreamers are Americans too. No, they're not, Nancy. Everybody in the world. Actually, they're not. Yes, except for the part where they aren't. False. It's an entire point that you're trying to make them Americans, isn't it? Chris Hayes, this is upsetting in every direction. Rep- Representative Steve Smith <laughs> trolled him. Good. So then Brian Seltzer, during it, used a word cloud to investigate the real target of the State of the Union. The reliable sources, which is neither reliable or sources, American, 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 American people. He criticized the president for focusing too much on things like church, family, police, military, national anthem. That is a major anchor on CNN. Remember this. Because Joy Reid backed them up. If you're watching MSDNC, you don't love the country. That's all I have to say. If you watch CNN or MSDNC, you don't love the country. Because her tweet, church, family, police, military, the national anthem, Trump trying to call on all the tropes of 1950-era nationalism. The goal of this speech appears to be to force the normalization of Trump on the terms of the bygone era his supporters are nostalgic for. 
Yeah, we want to go back to a country that we're proud to be part of, and so is our president. I'm sorry for eight years you enjoyed having a president who said America sucks first. This president says America first. It's the only thing most of us like about him. We don't like anything else. But you hate it. And I don't know why you do, Joy and Hillary Schill racist read, because then you can do your race baiting and say it's about brown folks, which it's not. Nothing about that trope is about black people, Joy. It's about going back to a time we had pride in our country. It's been a long time. Obama company and the Democrats during Bush spent the whole time saying America sucks and worrying more about Iraqi war deaths than American. Kimberly Strassel, wow. Who knew that love of family, pride in our country, and the adherence to the general rule of law, a hallmark of every democracy, is nothing more than nostalgia for a bygone era. Alex Griswold, the notion that respect for the military, family, church, the nation, national anthem, are just tropes from the 50s, says infinitely more about you, Reed, than it does Trump. Ian Miles Chong, a Democrat! You make all these things sound like Bad things. Larry O'Connor is the tack I took. I love that Trump draws them out to expose themselves for who they really are. And James Kerchick, which is what I will say in the midterms, over and over, vote Democrat because we stand against church, family, police, the military, and the national anthem. That's the ticket. There are other angle, which you heard in the sound bites. Trump goes for the immigrants or savage killers gambit with a story about killing the MS-13. Yep, we are well into the Stephen Miller portion of the evening because she's still sticking to he won some award nobody's ever heard of from racists. It's so bad in the media. The Washington Post at 11.17 did a headline, a call for bipartisanship. Here's a front page of tomorrow's Washington Post. Problem is, they got fake news, trash headline, alternative, white supremacists announced bigoted immigration plan that would tell families apart. Democracy dies and we don't at least try to compromise with Nazis. So by 11.30, let's go back to the front, 11, oh sorry, 10.17, 10.17, it was up until 11.17 and 11.30, a new American moment. They changed it. They fucking changed the headline because the liberals tore them up. When has the Washington Post, where democracy dies in the dark, ever changed anything because Republicans said that's a lie? They've been lying since Trump got into office. They made corrections. I'll change a headline. And I want you to remember Rubio. All right? This is a little segue. I got to do it. When he awkwardly drank a bottle of water, the media lost it. I'm going to let Dana Loach explain what Kennedy Jr. This is the balls of those people. Chappaquiddicks in theaters. People are seeing Ted Kennedy for the first time. 
unliberalized by the media, the lion of the Senate who left a girl to die and got away with it, even though he would have got a DUI and got to jail for manslaughter if he was a normal human being. Yeah. Yeah. That's balls. But if Kennedy got up there, it was disturbing. Now, do you take that from Joe Kennedy? Because Chad had, it looked like chapsticks all ups, Dana. Yeah, you know, I think there's something that Joe Kennedy, first off, I mean, <laughs> says, let's, let's talk to the middle by putting out um, an over-armexed one percenter ginger, us everyone. But you know what? I thought Joe Kennedy did bring it important. He was talking, Grant, about the blip hydration. And I also do think optics to have a Kennedy give a speech in front of a car. But yeah, no, you're very right. And and boy, I him and I actually felt sorry for him. And the reason why for him, one, he must have spazzed out when the, the, the CarMax on because he over the bottom, too. Like it wasn't even on his lips over his face. Yeah. But but two, in also you just mentioned the polls. You know, I saw a poll of Americans yeah. said that they that it was the speech. He's going on a negative, super positive. How negative this, how negative Donald Trump is. It flips of what Americans were thinking, and he looked ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know if Joe Kennedy, actually, who's never worked a day in the private sector, by the way, oh, if Joe Kennedy ever even actually watched. This is a guy who has zero experience in the private. Uh, I mean, he's a Kennedy, so he's got that going. But, you know, I, his lip hydration really on point. Uh, but, I, I mean, I listened to it felt like, you know, a kid running for student council. And, and the th I mean, it just it didn't make any sense. And, and it, while we're talking about the Democrat response, do you know that the Democrat, I mean, they have on to jam. Are you aware of this? I brought a just for you today, Okay. Right? Right. I brought a clip. It's the Joe Kennedy jam. Check. Of course, it has to work with our control right. room. Of course. Yes. There we go. What's wrong? I just want to be a part of the cool. I just feel like I don't have what it takes. I'm here for you. This is the club. It worked for me. I got Cause if I don't, I don't know. Let's go. It's the Joe Kennedy. It's the Joe Kennedy jam. <laughs> Joe Kennedy. How incredibly over his difficult lips is it is to wear this much chapstick. By the way, you know how much. How, thing is, like, I'm dying right now. Like, how do you wear that much? Um, but the thing is, is that you his realize, response, you, you realize you look ridiculous chapstick. You have on your lips right now. Yeah, I'm not even. It's lip hydration. Lip hydration. That it is. But that was that, the Joe Kennedy response. I mean, the party of crumbs is going to throw up a winter who's worth trillions of dollars who works in the private sector and can't even put it on. Did he need his ballot to apply his chat? No, uh, but it's insane. I thought the president was great. So did the rest of the America like that. It was a meme on Twitter. Nobody even touched it in the media. I'll just read a couple. Is Republican Joe Kennedy drooling? Somebody got to fix young Kennedy makeup lighting because it looks like he's drooling out the right side of his mouth. Yes, this is exactly what Bay and I are focused on. NRA TV. Nothing says let's talk to the middle class like putting out an overly carmexed one percenter ginger out there to address everyone. I also think it's really bad optics to have Kennedy give a speech in front of a car. But I digress. You heard it in the soundbite. I thought that was perfect. But understand why you were there. And 
all along, you know, you had Dreamers up in the upper balcony. Senators were giving Dreamers their seat. Two members of DACA program arrested for human smuggling in San Diego. Three men were inside the driver, 20-year-old DACA recipient whose status has expired, and two Mexican nationals, age 21 and 22, suspected of being in country illegal. Federal officials to the driver and his cousin, the 22-year-old pastor, told agents they've been involved in human smuggling. Joe Walsh, two DACA recipients were arrested in human smuggling. Remember, these are the kind of people Democrats shut down the government over and invited to the State of the Union. You can go to task and purpose. William L. Crumholds, an illegal immigrant, almost killed my family. He was set free to commit more crimes. Yeah, breaks down the whole story. Then says, here's his accident. It was several minutes before 8 a.m. on Sunday morning, and we were going to church. My mother and my, my younger siblings were in the vehicle, a Chevy Suburban. I was driving. Blah, 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 40 mile an hour. Please on several minutes from the church, the road from our perspective curved to the right. On the right side of the road, a bike path is being constructed and a dirt pile. Who cares? Sharp curve. All of a sudden, a Chevy Lumina came hurling around the corner. When it first appeared, it was swerving in the middle of the road. But as it took the curve, the Lumina fishtailed, sliding sideways. I tried. I saw it. I could tell it was coming right at us. I immediately cranked the steering wheel to the left. The Lumina slammed into us, and everyone, everything went blank. Police later told us that because of that quick turn to the left, instead of T-boning the oncoming car, the front of our Suburban hit a rear of the Lumina. This allowed the Lumina to spin off to the right and lessen the force of the impact. Things would have been a lot worse had that not happened for it was a very small vehicle. For the time we saw the oncoming vehicle, the impact was no more than two or three seconds. Blah, 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 blah. He was coming at 80 miles per hour and an estimated 60 miles per hour upon impact. Airbags, everybody's crying. Nobody was hurt. Some bloody lips and some back pain. The drunk driver was thrown from his car and almost died. Bystanders ran a bait shop on the road along with the riding police officers ministered emergency first aid. He was airlifted. The man was not only drunk when he hit us, but he was also snorted cocaine before heading down the road. If the man hadn't hit us, we were told, it was likely he would have careened into a house or business. We moved on with our lives. Police officers told us the man had no insurance and was in the United States illegally. Because of this, we assumed he was deported. We harbored no ill will and were grateful that nobody died. Fast forward to this month. While doing research to write about the incident, I found out the man had not been deported. For hitting us on that Sunday morning, a judge convicted the man of driving under the influence and gave him less than a year of electronic monitoring and two years of probation. At the time of the accident, the man had several assault convictions. Four years after he hit us, he was again charged with assault. All these charges were for domestic abuse. On one occasion, he caused a woman permanent brain damage after hitting her. As to why he was never reported, a retired police officer I talked to said illegal immigration was not a big deal politically in 2004, so there was likely no state or local policy to inform ICE of illegal immigration. He was allowed to leave. Might be dated to some of you. There's a lot of people. Tucker Carlson in this. At the Washington Post, multiple DUIs and a hit and run aren't deportion worthy as long as you good dance instructor. 
He taught lawyers, vets, and more how to ballroom dance. Now students are trying to save him. The unlikely story of a young immigrant from Mongolia and the suburbanites who want to protect him, even though he had multiple DUIs. This is a 2015, a 2018 story. But in 2018, the left has become so extreme that laws Democrats passed in California and Oregon seek to stop the feds from deporting even serious criminals like rapists or murderers. Democrats used to at least claim they wanted to secure the borders. Why have Democrats become so extreme on illegal immigration? California used to be a Republican state, and now it's deep blue, and no part, small part due to the influx of Mexicans and the way they want them to get them to vote for them. So, you know, I only paraphrase these, not very well, because I didn't edit that article down, and cover it, but if you go back into the archives of Flyover Politic Podcast, did a whole show on this. We don't even track it. But over 60% of these people don't even have insurance or a driver's license. And nothing happens. Yet in Latino-heavy states, they're the cause of 75% of all drunk driving. They do nothing. So, here is a Me Too. This is how it was played on CNN. FBI statements tonight. We tried to ask the president about this today, uh, and they essentially tried to shout us down. Here's what happened. Thank you all very much. Appreciate it. Mr. President, Mr. President, any response to the FBI saying in that statement that the Nunes memo should not be released? Thank you. Mr. President, any response to the FBI? We're leaving. Let's go. Appreciate it. There you go, Anderson. I think somebody there, uh, one of the staffers, actually tried to tug on my... This guy is so pathetic. That's Jim Acosta. Stephen Miller, the 5'4 female junior staffer, was basically Hitler. Given his perceived level of victimhood, I'm surprised Acosta wasn't someone's guest during the State of the Union. Then this young lady tugged my jacket. This is unprecedented attack on our republic, and I demand criminal charges against the staffer as well for the impeachment hearings. His jacket was tugged, Chuck. What comes after beta? And people even said, Cooper is like, what a cupcake. And he's the gay guy. Jim Acosta reporting on Jim Acosta. How did they promote this guy? So then, during the State of the Union, same douchebag, Acosta, Trump and State of the Union expert released White House, I am extending an open hand to work with members of both parties. Fact check. Just last week, Trump referred to crying Chuck Schumer. Non sequitur from CNN. Our press is irredeemable. You might want to check what fact check means. Yeah. Might want to check that out. A segue within our Me Too, 17, the realistic vagina manicure is exactly what I needed today. Hannah Orstein wrote back in August about the gift nail artist, Aza Bree, works at Portland, Oregon Nail Salon, Finger Bang. Finger Bang. Gave the internet an Instagram photo of her alarmingly realistic vagina manicure. Nail artist, everybody grace the internet with a gift. It's a glittery purple gel manicure with one accent nail on each hand. And that accent just so happens to be an alarmingly realistic depiction of a vagina, painted lovingly with five distinct shades of pink and topped with a pearl. This article, it's remarkable to think that in the era of women dress in full-body vagina costumes to protect the patriarchy, a vagina manicure would be considered toning it down. 
Christian Summers, Dear Goddess, Please Make It Stop, Dangerous Troll, Reason 3657 of Why We Don't Have a Female President, Amy Alkin, Why Not Your Sigmund Colon Curving Around Your Nail or Designed with a Big Honkin' Hemorrhoid. <laughs> Woo! It's perfect. It's just perfect. But, I gotta fast forward in the script, because late in the day, last night, I'm about to go all the way back, I'm sorry, I, I meant to move this and I didn't, it's a Sunday, it's a Sunday, I'm really sorry, but Rose McGowan, the Me Too Queen, is now in the news, and it's a perfect, perfect synergy of why the left gets nothing but scorn from me. Because it's so fucking embarrassing. Alright? It's just so embarrassing. It started with the Women's March. Please read this interview with the activist engaged with Rose McGowan last night. Transphobia and denying trans women identities is never okay. The pain we feel does not excuse the pain we cause others. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought, too. Like, what the fuck? So this is what they're talking about. Hi, I'm Mr. Dustin. Talk about what you said on RuPaul. Trans women are dying. And you said that we, as trans women, are not like regular women. We get raped more often. We go to domestic violence more often. A trans woman was killed here a few blocks. I have been followed home. So have I. Like so have I. So have I. We're the same. My point was we are the same. There's an entire show called ID Channel, a network dedicated 24 hours a day to women getting abused, murdered, sexualized, and violated. And you are too, sister. It's the same. And you do nothing for them. Trans women are in men's prisons. And what have you done for them? What have you done for women? Lots of things. I've done lots of things too. You don't know my life. Don't sit down. Sit down. Sit down. Enough.
Trans women are women. What I've tried and been trying to say is that it's actually identical. The stats are not that dissimilar. You break it down, it is a much fucking smaller population. There's not a network, however, devoted to your fucking death. There's not advertisers advertising tampons as a camera goes lovingly up a girl's body as she's being fucking raped and strangled. Piss off. And until you can collect that fucking check, back up. My name is Rose McGowan, and I'm obviously fucking brave. God damn it. It's time we tell the truth. God, I'm bored, right? Isn't it boring? Isn't it bored? Isn't everyone bored just fucking... So if you go on Twitter, you can find some support, but every article, Rose McGowan cancels tour after shouting match with trans. In the fan video footage, appears Rose McGowan may have been answering questions from an audience when a woman in the back steps up. Trans women are dying, and you said that we as trans women are not like regular women. She was referencing McGowan's comment on RuPaul What's the Tea podcast back in July. The actress and woman's right activist instantly gets angry and unleashes on the woman. McGowan kept shouting, we're the same, back in the room to the shock of the crowd in the bookstore. The woman began to shout back, this is what cis feminist at the top of her lungs she could be in any of you, you already heard it. After the incident, McGowan took social media to alleged the transgender woman was a paid actress and that she's quitting her promotional tour. She goes on to say that nobody in the building did anything, which is exactly, wasn't, isn't exactly true. As the video shows, the actress also lashed out at news websites for print, printing up the exact transcript of what was said in the altercation, taking extra time to tear into variety. You can watch the video of the incident, blah, 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 blah. I'm canceling a upcoming public appearance because I was given enough. I have given enough. I have given beauty. In return, I was verbally assaulted for two full minutes, being buzzed by an actor paid to verbally assault women who have been terrorized by your system, and no one in that room did anything. And everyone from my publicist, assistants, managers, and every person sitting in their chairs frozen by their weakness, a weakness called complicity, the truth is you failed me. I would like an apology for the manager of the Union Square, Barnes & Noble, and all security people in the audience who did nothing and let the paid verbal assault of assaulted women happen. Cool. Look who's got the transcript word for word. Why is longtime mouthpiece of pig monster variety, you don't say? Coincidence that Peter Bart and other journalists paid to smear me and other victims all these years are still aiding and abetting. No. Andy Deer, the woman who heckled Rose McGowan on her book signing, is now being accused of sexual assault. Yeah. You wouldn't know this was a dude. It doesn't look like a dude unless you stare for an Adam's apple. These are the responses. Newsflash. Whether or not she was bound to be accused of sexual assault doesn't invalidate that you have done anything for trans community. The fact that you had a meltdown when she brought up a valid point. What special treatment did trans women ask for? To be disproportionately sexually assaulted or murdered? How dare you? Can we post the blog list of the people you've abused? Because there's no history of TERFs falsely accusing trans women of being sexually predators in order to demonize them and present them with monstrous others. And within this, an article from overseas, male trans individuals convicted of violence against women and children. They're tracking it since 2005. Murdering women and children. This is just all in London. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven perpetrators, thirty victims. Other violent, intimidating offenses, 
1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. 50 of them. Rape and abuse of women. 40 of them. Rape of sexual abuse of children. 70 of them. Position of image of child as sex abuse or extreme pornography. 15. Of these, only 5 have been acquitted and 1 wasn't charged. We would never see that in America. That website would code, it would be taken down. It would make NBC Nightly News. Twitter moments. Rose McGowan cis white feminism was actually a thing. So, Oh, one more tweet. Dystopian future with a girl who literally sexually assaulted me at my old job when I told her to stop is accusing me because she's close friends with my ex I cheated on. Janelle, remember what you did at library and TERFs and neo-Nazis are fueling their propaganda machine. Specialist sex doll. That's actually the dude chick or whatever. I don't know what the fuck we're supposed to call these people. Um, that That's the guy who says he's a girl. So, I, I had to play that, because when you really break it down, that's the left. These fucking people are insane. They're just insane. So a woman who started tearing down the patriarchy, which is what they want, she says one thing about the trans, now she's out? And a guy who is abusing men and women on a TV show called House of Cards, gets caught, says he's gay, he's in. Victim, said the wrong thing about trans out, assaulter, says the right thing in. That's the left. My tweet on this is pretty simple. I have two points on this. One, I would never know this was a dude, and most of America doesn't know, so where's this abuse you're talking about? I probably walk past trans women and men all the time. I don't fucking know it. I probably do like what people do when they walk past me. What an ugly fucking dude. I probably say, man, that's a hideous woman. But I wouldn't know she's a woman or a man. I don't really fucking care. Number two, 0.07% of America's trans. That's not even 1%, my friends. 0.03% of America fought in the war on terror. If you really want a demographic... And we're supposed to be all about these small groups. That's what democracy is about. Why don't you guys support vets? You just, you fucking hate vets. We would actually make a bigger dent. A bigger virtue signaling. We're less. By half. So. Gotta cover the train wreck. This intro section has become pretty big. That's why we take a bumper after it, but, um, what do you do when a train-carrying GOP members of Congress crashes into a garbage truck and kills someone? Well, if you're a lunatic, it probably looks something like this. Jonathan Galt Freedom, a reporter, praying to God that this is just an accident, not domestic terrorism. It is kind of fishy that the GOP chartered this train to take them to retreat, just having to hit a dump truck blocking the train track hours after the State of the Union. Antifa, ISIS, Muslim, dim, domestic terrorist. 
Then that fucking weird over over at Alex Jones dump truck derails Trump's train. This is perfect to divert the news cycle away from Trump's unifying the nation in his powerful speech. Yeah. Yeah, that that's um that, that's a thing. But then, there's more of the people saying, I hope they died, and in our hate tweets, let's just go to the hate tweets, because this is just fucking horrible, a reporter for CNN, a CNN reporter, um, let's see, let me find the tweet, yeah, I want to save it for hate tweet, but this is too good. Author and self-proclaimed CNN talking head Jonathan Tassani took to Twitter on Wednesday to declare that God is working hard today to clean up the stink because a train full of goopers, which I think he meant GOPers, slammed in a dump truck. A train, da 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 da. Um, Carolina Republican, uh, Representative uh, Trey Gowdy announced that he's retired Congress at the end of this term. Dasani, who penned a column for CNN as recently as January 13, decided the two stories were the result of God ridding Washington. Wow. Train full of goopers hits truck and this God working hard to clean up the stink. Thank, thank her, Trey Gowdy, GOP train wreck. The Bernie Sanders surrogate might have pulled off the worst comment to like ratio in the history of Twitter, as roughly 781 people commented with only 21 felt inclined to like it, which makes me sick. Dasani was slammed in the comments beneath his anti-GOP message with one user writing, from one media figure to another, you're going to regret this. Dasani claims to be a CNN talking head in his Twitter bio, but the network was quick to point out that he isn't paid by them, but they didn't say anything bad about it, and they show him on TV... Pictures of him being interviewed. He's written several books. The Essential Bernie Sanders Working Life Podcast, which I'm going to review and get back to you. Now, I want the people from the resistance to realize I covered more uh, righties and lefties, because I didn't want to get bogged down, because this is a pretty hateful episode anyway, you do it from the memo to the State of the Union, but I could fill a podcast with the left set. That Dasani dude just won in about 20 million that went out there and lost their fucking minds. So I want you all to realize, resistant members, we know who the party of hate is. It's you. You fucking hate people. You just hate people. We don't see your worldview. We're horrible. And then I got to cover the PPFA. They are doing uh, more onion-like stuff like they did last time. And this is a onion-type article, the Babylon Bee, uh, about Cecil Richards' replacement. And it goes a little something like this. The memo provides a list of notable people who could possibly fill Richards' soon-to-be-vacant position along with the company notes providing the reasons for and thoughts about each one. Number one, the Mind Flayer from Stranger Things. This 50-foot-story tall shadow monster seems to have everything we need in a leader. He can control people's minds, he feeds on helpless humans, and he controls an army of monsters. Re- really seems to fill fit with our company culture. Recommend shortlisting. Kim Jong-un. Pros, no qualms with killing the unborn, good at man manipulating the media, doesn't have any hang-ups on oppressing the weak and helpless. Cons, none that we can see. Cecil Richards, true demonic from when Cecil resigns and sheds her meat suit. Why not bring b- back her true demonic form as president? 
might be a bad look for us, but it will show transparency and honesty, which will play well with our supporters. Could make for a lit hashtag social media campaign the real Cecil. <laughs> a rot, iron, Sith, dripping blood. Maybe two on the nose, but still have a symbol of our annual harvest of hundreds of thousands of humans. Could be inspiring to the clinics. Let's mull on this. Kermit Gosnell. Yes, he's in prison, but organized crime bosses have been able to run their syndication from inside jail cells for decades. So we we have no reason to think he couldn't do it. Madam Umbridge. She already works for the Dark Lord. Maybe she'd be interested in transferring to our department. We'll ask Lord Voldemort if he can put us in touch. A jar of festering pond scum. We have, we have to find a candidate that will live up to Cecil's moral legacy. Maybe we can collect a bunch of disgusting putrid gunk from the bottom of a pond, and that could be our next president. Just spitballing. And then lastly, Skynet. Our company mission is to snuff out the next generation of humanity, and Cyberdyne Systems, self-aware new neural network aims to exterminate mankind. Seems like there could be more mutual interest there. Worth exploring? Put them on the short list. I love these fuckers. I'm going to start covering other articles they do because, you know what? The sad thing about that artic- whole article, there's 10% of truth in there. You guys are fucking ghouls. To a music break, and we're going to go into our Tweets of the Day, Hate Tweets, Hypocrisy, and Stats of the Day, and close out with news and social media nuggets. Our first section so long, I have to break it off here. Not like the old days. So enjoy some potty rock. I figure the music today should be in sync with the Super Bowl, which I won't be covering, maybe briefly in the next podcast, because I hate both fucking teams. But, gotta have some party anthem type shit, right? Enjoy. Just have a good time. Let's go. 
Every day I'm shuffling. The Fop Podcast is about. Honey, you didn't do my bonus. And listen. Honey, you didn't do my bonus. Wing and listen. Wing and listen. Wing and listen. Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reid. Our tweet of the day, well, you know, it probably should be a hate tweet. Every day we are more and more grateful that Hillary Clinton was elected as President of the United States, whether her story is breaking about her protecting another sexual predator on her own staff, or she's in a video blathering on about activist bitches. The woman is a serious train wreck. We totally dodged a bullet, as the old saying goes. That being said, every once in a while, though, her antics produce something rather hilarious and brilliant, like this photo slap from Elliot Hamilton. Hillary and the Lord of the Sith. Guys, going to guess Hillary wouldn't be amused as we are, or the dude who played Senator Palapatine. 
who said, hey, Gabriel Bello Music had the Lord of the Sith with an evil voice. I am the Senate. Uh, one of the guys who gets killed by Darth Vader, Samuel Jackson. So, unlimited power, cackles, use this image, it better represents her. Good. And our tweet of the day, I'm not going to continue on because it's kind of fucking mean. Somebody photoshopped, it's carped donctum, hashtag create black history. I don't know what that's about. Is a picture of her from the bitches with devil horns on her head. You know, every time I think I can get rid of this segment, because really everything's hate now, or intros about people on the left hating, hating anybody who's not them, you know, Sarah Sanders comes up again. I mean, I I should just call it not hate tweets of the day. I should just say, Sarah Sanders gets fucked on the internet again, because here it comes, Sarah Sanders. Proud to work for POTUS, who stands strong for Israel and all the Jewish people. Jason Ross, you almost didn't turn this into obscene pandering curtain call with Miss Piggy. Yeah. You work for Obama? Dana Goldberg, have you lost your damn mind? Stands up for Jews. No one who says Nazis are fine people stands up for Jews. What about standing for the law enforcement of the United States of America like the FBI? Yeah, that's, that's, once again. I don't want to go to prison. I say no, no, no with a picture, a horrible picture of Amy Winehouse. So every day I can find Sarah Sanders getting treated like shit on the internet. And all you resistance, me too, people are for it. But I guess if you're going to trash Rose McGowan, why would I be surprised? Yashar Ali brings her other one. Kathy Griffin on the cover of THR. Jimmy Kimmel says she didn't hurt anyone. She's one of the funniest people in the world. She'll be bigger than ever. Jimmy Kimmel has outright outed himself as a fucking moron. Jimmy, or Jeremy Frankel, narrator. She isn't and won't. Narrator. She isn't as won't. There's another person. His name. Is Jim Jones. Mickey White. Jimmy Kimmel is delusional. Kathy playing a victim. Jimmy defending her. Must be Wednesday. <laughs> then there's this sophomoric humor that seems to be what the left does now. Brian J. Karem, a journalist. I just wonder how many wedgies Paul Ryan got as a kid. Tweets and replies. Journalism. With a question? I just wonder how many wedgies Paul Ryan got as a kid. Retweeted by DJ New Yorkified. This is CNN. Ministry of Twitter Good Think Violator. Or Mel White House Reporter. That is a White House Reporter. My tweet to him was more succinct. Did we not say Mitt Romney was not electable in 2012 because he cut somebody's hair? But you're promoting wedgies. Bullying's okay if you're conservative. Elizabeth Landers, Melania Melania and all white. 
Winter White is such a look, and it's a glam one on her. Stay the union. What do you think the replies are? Oh, you know. Sally Clone. Clearly her outfit is a blatant attempt to pander to her husband's base. All white. What are you saying, Sally? And somebody did a picture of Hillary in the same fucking outfit. For fuck's sake, by Greg Polowitz. Plenty of people that supported her. And plenty more with the picture of Hillary in the white pantsuit. With the white shirt, her white skin, with her shock corn, almost white hair. I'm still amazed that these people think they can stand on it when you ran geriatric white people. You had nobody running in 2016 that had any melanin in their skin. Olivia Wilde, the piece of shit who dumped Aaron Rodgers. Who does that? He's Aaron Rodgers. Interesting article. This is why we need to focus on skin health, not beauty. This is why I sincerely believe in doing it all differently with true botanicals. Focus on nourishment. Be good to you. So people start saying you're a fucking moron. Here's one of her replies. Definitely not going to say it's wrong. Just offering an informed alternative choice. In an industry that lacks regulations, it's up to us, the consumers, to educate ourselves on why we apply our body's largest organ. Empowerment is key. That's true. However, three reads of this article left me with the feeling of you're a dummy for falling for skincare products. It's a scam. The author's tone is incredibly frustrating. I'm a working mother, so sue me for using Glossier Moisturizer. It's my self-care. So this is a total stupid fight, right? Totally stupid fight between women. But the spokesman for this product, here's another reply, Olivia Wilde. I hear you. Patronizing judgment is so not helpful. We all deserve to feel beautiful however we damn well please. But we also deserve to know the truth behind advertising so we can make informed choices. She followed it up with, but also, we should all do exactly whatever the fuck we want to feel because great because our time is limited. And really, I just want to spend my day swimming in melted cheese until President Dickface gets us nuked. But on good days, I try to try to be good to me. People responded, deflecting negativity like Superwoman, a picture of Superwoman, I think swimming in a pool of melted cheese would make me happy enough to clear my skin and increase my lifespan by 20 years to mock her. But I just want you to know, Trump derangement syndrome is fucking amazing because if you can twist hair care product, skin product, everything we do into a bash, Elton John retiring is Trump's fault. It goes back to what I say on the show. You can't get a good burger at Burger King because of Trump. That's what these people are. Mm -hmm. Then there was this journalist at Counterpunch. Trump did an excellent job of using his invited guest as human shields for the odious policies, especially Korea's version, a tiny Tim who brought his own crutches. Same guy. All of the injured will be guest stars at next year's State of the Union address. And that was about the train crash. That's a journalist. I cannot air quote enough. Hypocrisy without a bumper. New segment we're going to put in here each week is a gentleman 
is tweeting this week in Media Bias. He works for Media Research Center. His name is Rich Noyles. Here are some interesting ones. This is from 2015. On this day, Media Bias history, former NBC and CBS Morning News host Brian Gumbel unleashes on the NRA. They're pigs, a curse upon the American landscape. That was to the Rolling Stones. On this day in media history, Chris Matthews declares Rush Limbaugh's opposition to a new president was proof Limbaugh must hate this country. This is from the 31st of, 21st of January. Uh, this one is from the 23rd of January. On this day in media bias history, as Barack Obama prepared re-election bid, Newsweek cover story insisted president was grotesquely underappreciated and his critics were dumb. I like this because it shows nothing changes with the media. On the 24th of January, on this day in media bias history, Los Angeles Times colonists condemned U.S. troops fighting terrorism as a tool of American Um, American imperialism, that's what he said. On the 27th, moderator Gordon Peterson on the mainstream media bashing the president unfairly. Newsweek assistant managing editor Evan Thomas. Well, our job is to bash the president. That's what we do. Yeah. February 2nd, 2007. Uh, this one is January 27th, 1992. On this day, Newsweek economists, correspondents condescendingly write the tax cuts are merely a bribe for voters, as if the money wasn't voters in the first place. God, does that not repeat to what we're living now? But my favorite, and I'll just do one for the day I do the podcast. On this day, media bias, then NBC anchor Brian Williams pauses during State of the Union coverage to remind viewers that Barack Obama is absolutely exceptional. This is how it went. It was David Remnick in the New York Magazine, a long, long article, a long, sustained access interview with the president over many stops, who put a sentence in the middle of the article to reset everyone's expectation and remind us what it it looks to get here, took to get here. And I'm going to quote from it. A president who, after all, won two terms as only 17 of 44 presidents have and did so as a black man with an African father and a peculiar name, one consonant away from that of the world's most notorious terrorist. Something I think everybody forgets in the day-to-day game here. Which, as I said in the beginning, sparked me to go find what did a State of the Union sound like under Obama. If you forgot, resistance members, this is what it sounded like. Us conservatives remember, it was like Kim Jong-un farting in North Korea and everybody going, oh, that's the best fart ever. Joining me now is House Majority Leader, Congressman Stanny Hoyer. Stanny, great to have you on tonight. I appreciate your time. If you can update us, was there any movement at all today on the health care front before the speech tonight? Uh, actually, there was no movement. We're waiting to hear what the president uh, has to say. I think there's a lot of fight, though, I will tell you, uh, in the Democratic uh, ranks. Uh, fight to get something done for the American people. And very f- frankly, we not only hope we'll unite Democrats, but we'll hope we get some Republicans uh, uh, to recognize that the spiraling cost of health care for families and uh, individuals and small businesses uh, is uh, something that we've got to get a handle on. Uh, we've got to make sure that every American has access to affordable health care. So uh, we're yeah. going to be working towards that end. But today, Ed, was a day really uh, where the Senate, as you know, is working on... Uh, 
the debt limit uh, uh, and a fiscal responsibility package. Uh, and uh, we are waiting for the hear what the president has to say, and we'll be yeah. working the balance of the week. Congressman Hoyer, I, I want to play a piece of tape uh, from earlier today on Dylan Radigan's show. I had made the comment that the Republicans have been obstructionists through this whole process, and uh, Mike Pence took exception to that. Here it is. I got to tell you, that was the one thing, Ed, and you know, the Ed show is popular. It's not my cup of tea, but you know, he's good radio and good TV. But look, Ed just said uh, the president ought to consider shutting Republicans out. Ed, newsflash, uh, House Democrats in this administration have shut Republicans out of the entire process in the House and in the Senate for the yeah. last year. I didn't say shut them out. I say move on. But, uh, have the Democrats in the House. Uh, you're the majority. Have you shut out Republicans through this health care debate? I mean, they're trying to play like the, the wounded soldier here, like poor me and everything else. What about that? Well, I think very frankly, uh, they were invited to the table and they refused to come to the table. And that's been the course of uh, Did you shut them the out? last year. No, Did you we didn't yeah. shut them out. Uh, they have chosen not to play, though. They've chosen not to participate. Uh, very frankly, I've I sat down with a number of uh, their leaders and said, okay, what do you want? As you recall, one of their uh, uh, members uh, gave a speech in which he said there was 80% agreement. Uh, I invited that member into my office and said, okay, where's the 80%? We're prepared to work on that, and we'll talk about the other 20%. Uh, very frankly, at that point in time, uh, uh, we didn't get very specific, unfortunately. And since that time, uh, we haven't really had substantive proposals and didn't have a substantive proposal when uh, the bill was presented on the floor from the Republicans. So Congressman uh, I think it's unfortunate that we haven't worked together, uh, but it hasn't been because we aren't, weren't willing to do so. How aggressive do you want the president to be tonight? Does he have to reignite the base? Does he really have to connect with Democrats tonight? How aggressive should he be? And uh, very frankly, I think what he needs to do is connect with the American people. Uh, not just the, the base of our party, uh, but independents and Republicans who understand that we have to address these problems. Uh, what the Congress is, is a represented body. Uh, and what they're hearing from a, uh, the country is uh, they're not sure of exactly where they want to go. Uh, I think that uh, there clearly is a lot of discomfort in the country about where we are as a country. The deep recession, the great uh, recession as it's called, that we've fallen into, and they want to be sure that we're going in the right direction. I think the president needs to give them that, that confidence. Uh, I think he can give them that confidence. And, yes, he does need to energize our base to understand that we are fighting for this objective, but the way we're going to win this objective is to convince our fellow citizens that it's the right way to go. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, thanks so much for your time tonight, Steny. You bet, Ed. Thank you. You bet. For more, let's bring in our panel tonight. MSNBC Steve Karnacki is with us now with an early look at how Americans received his speech. This is going to be fascinating. Steve. Yeah, so we got some new numbers here. These are fresh numbers from an MSNBC online survey. Let me just explain quickly what these numbers represent before we get to them, how we got them. We say online survey, you might think, well, this is just whoever wants to log on to a site saying their opinion and, you know, not that scientific. Well, what this actually is, is this is a specific sample of people. This was done in conjunction with SurveyMonkey. This is a site where two million people come. I love the name. Two million people come there. They take surveys every day. We had a professional team of pollsters take a sample from SurveyMonkey, a smaller sample, and they weighted it for age, for sex, for region, for all sorts of things like that. So it's a little more scientific than your standard 
online survey. That said, the margin of error on this is 6.8%. That's a little you know, high on the higher end of what you normally see. So take that into account as I take you through these numbers. First of all, the bottom line question, what did you make of the speech? Uh, enthusiastic, 28%. Satisfied, but not enthusiastic, 43%. So if you add those together, basically 71% of the people responding here said they were at least somewhat positive in their reaction to the speech. 21% saying they're dissatisfied, uh, but not angry, and 5% saying they're outright, outright angry. So again, 26% on the negative side there, 71% on the positive side. That's the bottom line of what we're finding in these numbers. If you look at some of the other stuff we asked about here, is the president focused on the right things by a two-to-one margin? People who watched that speech and responded to it said, yes, he is focused on the right things. He is Congress. Is the Republican Congress, Republicans, are they focused on the right things? Basically the inverse there, 35% saying they are, 61% saying they're on the wrong things. If you ask about Obama's proposals, what he laid out tonight, will it unite or divide the country? A little bit more than a majority there saying he would unite the country with that, 54 to 40. And this is an interesting one, specifically on that tax increase on the wealthy the president's talking about that he'd like to use to benefit the middle class, working class. Two different ways of looking at it. Is it a bad idea because the, because the wealthy will help grow the economy? 35% saying yes, that's a bad idea because of that, and 63% saying no, it's a good idea because the wealthy can afford it. And again, that's consistent with polling we've seen down through the years. That's why this is an issue that so many, the president himself ran on in 2012. Democrats like to run on this, and I think, again, in laying this out tonight, that's something that Democrats may very well be running on <coughs> in 2016. So uh, just going by your margin of error, 6.8%, let's go back to the angry figure. The angry figure is 5%. Could it be that there's less people that exist who are angry? <laughs> Could it be? <laughs> the range, I guess, is negative 2 to 12. <laughs> I'm just wondering, it only says 5% are angry, and you could be off by 6.8. My God, that's good news for the president. I'm just teasing. I know nothing's perfect. Steve Kornacki, great work tonight. Obama's back. Obama's back. That is the guy. In 2008, 2012, he's back. First time you ever ever heard him talk about unions. Again, transgender, bisexual, his, his base is happy. But the economic message of we're going to help you out now. He, he moved from the economy strong. He can get better. He want to be more fair. That is the Obama that wins elections. And, and, and Republicans are now on the back foot. This is the president in full engagement mode. I haven't heard anything from Republicans. Let's see what they say. But that is, that is Barack Obama back. Essie Kelp, do you feel on the back foot? <laughs> um, I, I, don't, I don't join Van in, in that enthusiasm. But I, I will agree, you know, the criticism of Democrats leading up to the 2014 midterms was that they didn't have a cohesive economic message. And I heard one tonight. It's not one, obviously, I agree with or, or that Republicans are going to agree with. But it was a more cohesive message. I think uh, Wolf alluded to, to his, his comments on terror. And I'm positive those will have struck some Republicans as incredibly uh, off-key. This is an administration that has underestimated ISIS, has said al-Qaeda has been decimated, um, you know, has had a very questionable foreign policy, and, and the world's a very dangerous place right now, and he seemed to take a bit of a, a victory lap on, on terror, and I, I think that's going to strike some Republicans as really out of touch. Jay Corney, you've listened to a lot of these presidents. Well, I was struck uh, by the end and, and the sense that he was back, not so much on the economic message, which I knew he would make, and I think he's right on. Uh, but did he return to some of the themes that uh, Americans first heard from him in uh, 2004 uh, and again in 2008 and 2012? And, I, you know, I got a text from a friend who's not a partisan uh, Democrat at all, but who did vote for Obama twice. And he said, 
That's why I voted for him, what I heard in those last 10 minutes. Now, uh, he was partisan in the sense that the solutions he proposed to the problem were his solution. They were progressive. But the problem is now being diagnosed in the same way by Republicans and Democrats. The economy's growing, but not everybody's sharing in the growth. We need to do something about it. So he's saying, here's my plan, and I think he's not going to want to hear what Republicans are going to offer. Mike Rogers, what did you hear? I, I heard the Colorado speech uh, when he was running for president right uh, after his nomination. And that, that concerns me because one of the hallmarks of this president is he has very poor relationships in Congress. He had poor relationships with Democrats in Congress, and he had poor relationships with Republicans in, in Congress. And I thought this speech was an opportunity for him to step up and say, all right, we, we have some differences, but we have common goal. How do we improve the, the middle class? Nobody is not saying that's not a good idea. How he gets there, you know, calling for more spending and more programs probably isn't going to excite Republicans. But he did it in the first three quarters of that speech in a very partisan way. And I understand what he was trying to do. He was trying to invoke all those images of 2008, as Van said. The problem is it's not 2008. And we have two years left, and you have a, a big majority in both the House and the Senate with Republicans. I think it's a bad way to start if you actually want to accomplish something. It's the first act in this latest round of divided government. In the first big act, you had a very significantly left-of-center speech delivered by a president to a Congress that is now much more right-of-center after the election that just happened a couple of months ago. So they are operating on very different parallel universes, if you will, right now. But it's only the first act. Understand, I know that's exceedingly long, but I had to get the build-up, what they said during, because that just covers what we've gone through for the last two weeks. Nobody's going to listen to it. It's going to be an empty room. Democrats, look at them. They're going to protest. They're horrible. No coverage on how horrible the Dems were, just how dystopia, his dark vision of America, his pandering to this, his racial animus towards Mexicans because he calls out MS-13 and all these cases we've covered that they're really fucking bad people, but Democrats even want the bad people just because of the color of their skin, so maybe they'll vote for him someday. It's like that every fucking time there's a Democratic president. To headlines, New York Times Sunday, Meg, let's CNN Amapur, Savage Trump, Key statement, lies lead to dictatorship. So I guess when Obama said you can keep your health care, that wasn't a lie. Hmm. Brian Seltzer bringing back up. Yeah, wait for it. Oprah, whole thing. Brian's obsessed. She turned 64 today. Oh, look, it's Oprah Peter Dow. Peter Dow was talking about it. I don't understand these people. Charlie Kirk, according to the media, if someone goes well, it's Obama who deserves it. If something goes wrong, it's Trump who deserves the blame. People bring up in this thread, I mean, they blame false alarm in Hawaii on him, for Christ's sake. Obama did nothing for this country except cause strife between law enforcement and African Americans. What a legacy he left. He's a junior senator, from, unfortunately, from Illinois, who was involved with ACORN, who made the housing market tumble. Another person. During Obama's presidency, everything that went wrong was Bush's fault. Another person. The only thing Obama can take credit for is almost destroying the American way of life and economy, economy all by itself. We spent eight years, Bush's fault. Right off the bat, in this segment, I was going to play a long soundbite of Don Gay Race Bader Lemon saying how thank you, Obama, 
for the improvement in black unemployment, but by the next one, it went down, and two black reporters, Joy Reid, who said thank Obama, and some other dick cheese, literally were happy about it. Oliver Willis is his name. He's a racist. Black unemployment rate soars days after Trump bragged how low it was. Soars. Share blue. It's blue site. The black unemployment rate in America jumped to 7.7% for the month of January. It was announced on Friday after a year's worth of steady decline. The recent spike has erased all those gains. And the black unemployment rate now stands almost exactly where it was when Trump took office 7.8. Joy Reid. Well, there goes another talking point. So people brought up, okay, so yesterday MSM said low black unemployment was thanks to Obama. I'm guessing their narrative is going to change with the new update. By the way, according to Dagan McDowell this morning, the way the January numbers were returned by the Labor Department was different than how it was recorded in the past, hence a reason why the numbers have changed. But that's the media. Everything good Obama, everything bad Trump, when it's good, you don't get credit for it, then it's back to, oh, wait a minute, look at it. He sucks. He sucks again. He's a suck monster. Yeah. These people have no fucking integrity. Then there's, I want to be president, Senator Gillibrand, ABC News Politics. Senator Gillibrand, I call for Al Frank's resignation. I can be a good mother and I can't. I can't be a good mother and I can't be a good senator if I am silenced just because it's my friend. Everybody said it took seven women for you to actually speak up. And as in the hate tweets, I put it over here in hypocrisy today, Nikki Haley, again, we talked about it briefly, how the left hates her she tweeted, I have always loved the Grammys, but have artists read the Fire and Fury book, killed it. Don't ruin great music with trash. Some of us love music without politics thrown in it. David Itzikoff, New York Times, when you're a U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. He started the hate attack. Sit down, girl, you're drunk. Don Cheadle. You're disrespectful and uninformed, a black woman said to him. Jim Stinson, how dare this woman have an opinion? Can you please be disingenuous at somebody else's time? It's a cough again. Then Matt Dowd, seriously, trash? Do you know who you work for, defend and celebrate, and the things he said and done over the last year, over the last 10 years of his life? Come on, have some integrity. People that follow him and like him. I know you're frustrated, the president, but Nikki makes a valid point. Not Matt Dowd. It would only be valid if she said some some things about the president. And I don't hate President Trump. That's ABC chief political analyst. Actually, he's chiefly a political hack working at the network that brought us Brian Ross high quality journalism. Then, New York Times' Barry Weiss recently slammed the left's double standard when it comes to women like Haley. A prominent Republic woman is smeared. The author who does the smearing is celebrated by all the A-listers, including the most prominent Democratic women in the country, who 
herself has a history of giving a pass or worse to men accused of sexual harassment, and yet arbiters of American culture cheer the Democrats, and in the words of the actor Don Cheadle, sit down, girl, you're drunk. But during this same time, this is what Matt Dowd said. I was thinking as we were leading in about this, is the big, the bad blood that's out, the blue blood moon. I think what it is, the last time it was visible is the United States for the 1860s, and I think we are divided now as we were then. That's why it's an hypocrisy, friends. It's an hypocrisy. You're dividing the country, Matt Dowd. You are. You attack a U.N. ambassador, you would never do that to Susan Powers. You would never call out Susan Powers on Twitter. And you're a journalist. That's shit that you should ignore, but you don't. Stephen Colbert disrespected her. She just wants to take us back to when music was less political. You know, John Lennon, Woody Guthrie, Bob Dylan... Somebody tweeted to him, nothing screams we care about women like mocking a woman for defending herself against a sexual scandal smear from the sole purpose of being anti-Trump, which cues it in. Nikki Haley has been accused of fucking Trump in a book that's full of lies. She criticizes that. She's a piece of shit. Any Democrat in the same state, you're so brave. So brave. They just get away with it. They can get away with anything. I don't know why anybody even watches anymore. Nicole Wallace is saying John Kasich should run for president and save the country. That's a reporter. Eric Holder, if Nunes' nonsense gets released, unbelievable, then in some proper way the shift analysis must also be shared with the public. Republicans on the committee have a duty to the American people that outweighs their desire to pr- protect a corrupt process and individuals. Let that sit. That's why it's an hypocrisy and not with the memo. That is the fucking attorney general. That he thinks blue and red shows what that damn administration was all about. Sahil Kafir, Stormy Daniels, basically confirms on Kimmel's show that the statement denying her Trump affair is fake. She says the signature isn't hers. I don't know where it came from. Manu Raju, Stormy Daniels played coy with Kimmel, then suggested the denial posted today saying she didn't have an affair with Trump was not from her. I don't know where it came from. Stormy Daniels not answering questions clearly, including whether she had the affair with Trump, signed the NDA, blah, blah, blah. Nothing feels more natural than watching the State of the Union with Stormy Daniels. Stormy Daniels on the statement issued in her name denying affair. I don't know now where it came from. These are all liberal reporters. But here's the problem. Washington Post and BuzzFeed, they're reporting she did sign it. They witnessed her doing it. Anthony Cormier, lawyer, lawyer for Stormy Daniels, tell me she signed the statement today in front of him and her PR rep. Stormy did indeed sign both denials. S.E. Cup. Covers someone who used, used to ask women to put your mouth on it to guess what was in your pants. Jimmy Kimmel, your put that in your S.E. Cup and smoke it line is a real tour de frost. Congrats on the hard-hitting Stormy Daniels interview. You're a real champion of women. Women. People started attacking her. The answer is yes, because it's best to defend Hillary's discrediting Bill's accuser with a porn star interview and a dumb swipe at a conservative woman for bringing it up. 
There it is. There it fucking is. Then do outright Trump derangement syndrome. By Brian J. Kareem, a CNN contributor. Our motto in God we trust. Wrong. Our motto has been e pluris unum out of many one. U.S. 36 U.S. Code 302 National Motto. In God we trust is the national motto. He could have used Google. He never, ever corrected it. He never corrected it. It stayed there for fucking ever. Ever. It just stayed there. Nobody did anything. Then there's this gem from the guy who started the whole memo. Brought bullshit comments, circular reporting, cohort, uh, fucking worked with the FBI and DOJ to try to take down Trump because he knew his fucking candidate was going to lose. This is a problem. What's the problem? Sahil Kafir again, a liberal journalist. The Senate just voted to confirm Trump's 13 U.S. appellant court judge, David Strauss, in the Eighth Circuit. POTUS and McConnell are reshaping the judiciary with one conservative after another at a breakneck pace. The left is so hypocritical. Remember what Obama said. Elections have consequences. To our Pravda mash, a double Cuomo. Obama had to do DACA because Republicans didn't have an immigration plan. Do I have to remind you how many times they put it up and they wouldn't do it because they didn't want it fixed by Republicans? And then another segment where DACA is racist. Kimmel, America sucks. MSDNC chuckling like grade schoolers because Trump's limo got flipped off. Matthews and a race baiter going on the North Korea is going to kill us all mantra again. Matthews saying he's still tingly about Obama. And our last soundbite is Brian Williams, the guy who was fired for lying, saying Trump's dishonest. Enjoy, comrade. Anybody that writes an op-ed and suggests that Donald Trump has not put himself directly in the target of an obstruction charge is just fooling themselves and some very, very stupid, ill-informed readers. Paul, if Ryan, if you're listening, or if somebody in your staff's listening, and I know they are, listen. The intel community, the Justice Department has said it would be incredibly reckless to release this memo. Talking about uh, the previous administration, be fair. Uh, Obama had to do that executive action because it's the only thing he could get done. You guys would do nothing. And this was the only protection that those people could get. So that's where we were. The question is where we get to. Nancy Pelosi says, yes, pathway to citizenship, that's a good thing. Security, fine. Even if he wants to say it's a wall, we'll do what the border security people say. Even though it's $25 billion, we'll do it. But these other things, Mario, these other things, uh, stopping the lottery, stopping family unification. Uh, she calls this making America white again versus messenger. 
Clinton, some of the language was changed. You know you have problems. You know you have to make the process better in terms of who gets into this country and also whom you decide to throw out. But the motivating ethos from Clinton, the idea was we are our diversity. The feeling is with this president, he sees diversity as a minus. Not one story last night. And by the way, the president did a good job articulating people's stories last night. And it's very powerful uh, for the audience and for the media. But not one about a successful dreamer. Not one. Although he did say all Americans are dreamers, which, again, is not only not true, but I didn't understand the point of doing that. Look, the president has committed to like Donald Trump's speech. There was a poll last night. There was plenty of stuff in there to like it. We had 48 percent were uh, highly favorable. Look, it's one thing to say it. It's then what do you do and what do you tweet thereafter? You know, we don't have to go back into the language he used, but he wants people to come into the country, but not from those certain asshole countries. He wants them rich and white because he that's, wants them from Norway. Untrue. And that's and not actually, America. Chris, that's not we, I wouldn't be here. That is, he wanted a merit-based system, absolutely. No, he, he said that and he the didn't want that, people from those countries. I guess I missed you being in the room to hear Are you the, saying that he didn't the say context. That? I'm saying that you're you're trying to create a narrative that doesn't exist. You're trying to take words of the president and make them mean something that they don't. This Based is the president. Based on the context of all the other things he said about immigrants that is so ugly and so destructive. I, I, I just, I'm going to have to disagree with your premise. Michael is being deployed soon overseas, mm -hmm. which leaves his fiance yes. and his daughter behind which means his fiance could be sent back to Mexico while he's overseas. So do you think a man who's serving this country, who's an active member of the military, do you think he should be treated like this? First off, the little girl cannot be deported. I think she should be deported. She needs to go back to her own country and work on fixing her own country. If she wants to come over legally, that's his responsibility to figure out how she's going to get back here. So as a former military guy, you don't feel that a fellow veteran, a fellow military first, man... First off, first, first off, she can go back and come in the legal Do you know way. that if she goes back, it could take 10 years for her to get her green card? There was a young man who was 22 years old at UC Irvine, and I spoke to him calmly and cogently. And I said, you are here illegally. This is not your country. I'm trying to imagine he was a little boy. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think you. I can. We can agree to disagree, but I know that you will concur with me that we live in a most loving, compassionate, and exceptional country. No, I don't. Oh, I don't agree why with why that. Why not? Well, I think I this think country has become cruel and um, and well, well I mean, okay. look at this no, no, the woman no, no, and her no, husband no, who is a stop, who's stop, a, stop, in the military. Where is your compassion? We've been watching uh, everything from inside the chamber. We saw Karen Pence arrive and take her seat. We saw the motorcade around what is really the final turn as it heads up to Capitol Hill. Uh, it encountered a small but vocal, as they say, group of protesters, including a gentleman you might have seen who had a funny way of waving to the motorcade. A one-fingered salute. Yeah, he was, a, a, by my count, eight fingers short of a full two-handed uh, wave there. So I don't know. <laughs> Uh, what it is we just uh, witnessed. Rachel, I mean, one thing I wondered about, because Americans don't like North Korea. We are always seeing pictures of those people sort of goose-stepping past their capital with all the ar ar artillery. We don't like them. Uh, we've never liked them. Why did he stoke the fires tonight? Why did he bring out the really tough case of the family losing their kid who was hiking through the mountains there? What was the whole point of that? Are we getting ready for a war? What are well, we getting ready it's for? It's no departure from how he's been for the last eight months toward North Korea. He's well, been he's threatening, all but promising. Why uh, heating it up? Because he wants a war with North Korea, if you take him by what he said. When I worked in politics years ago,
years ago. I, whether I worked for Edmund Muskier, I worked for Frank Moss from Utah, the last liberal from out there, or I worked for Jimmy Carter as a speechwriter, or I worked for Tip O'Neill. I felt that romance, and the people around me did. We felt that we were doing, we weren't always winning. It wasn't like in West Wing. We lost a lot. But we did feel we're on the right side of history and we're doing the right thing. There is that romance. It's true. We never looked down on the guy who was a better. We looked up to the boss. We really well, did. And, I looked up to I, Obama. As a, as a journalist, I looked up to Obama. I don't mind yeah. saying And good evening on what was day 376 of the Trump administration. Tonight, President Donald Trump, after shattering so many of the norms of the modern presidency, tonight gets to enjoy perhaps the most presidential backdrop of them all. A joint session of Congress and a live television audience for his report on the state of our union. We'll be joined by other friends here tonight. As I said, our entire team of correspondents will analyze what we see and hear. We'll fact check it on the fly as well. As for our special coverage, well, it continues with MSNBC all night. The very special coverage starts at 8 p.m. I will also be a part of that, fact checking the speech afterwards. But To our stats of the day... Dana Milback, Democrat behavior at the State of the Union was embarrassing. He's a liberal. You can get an idea how ridiculous the Democrats acted during this and after President Donald Trump's State of the Union speech on Tuesday by the fact that even a liberal, a colonist, Dana Milback at the Washington Post has found them to be embarrassing. Milbank is hardly an admirer of the president. Since last September, he wrote a column claiming Donald Trump is killing him, followed later that month with a complaint that Trump is driving us crazy. However, Milbank has complained about the attitude of opposition party. Democrats' behavior in the State of the Union was embarrassing. It gives me no pleasure to say this, but Democrats' behavior in the State of the Union was embarrassing. Notice that all too obvious, A, I took a back seat to nobody in decrying Trump's cynical and divisive performance. He repeatedly exploited America's divisions on race, guns, God, immigration, anything to distract from the broken promises, vulgarity, and worse that defines his presidency. But the Democrats, with their childish protest, took the bait. Symbolic dissent is fine, but this was a cacophony <clears throat> of causes. Black clothing for Me Too, kente ties and sashes because of Trump's Africa insult, butterfly stickers for the Dreamers, red buttons for the victims of racial crime, and more bipartisan purple ribbons for the opioid epidemic. Worse, dozens of Democrats refused to stand when the President entered the House chamber, forgetting that one stands out of respect for the office, not the office holder. Representative Benny Thomas, Democrat Mississippi, grabbed a middle aisle seat only to turn his back on the President when he walked past. Democrats groaned, scoffed, heckled, and made lemon-biting faces. Others simply boycotted. In short, they did the same sort of thing they and I denounced Republicans of doing to Obama. Nancy Pelosi looked like she was biting on a lemon as she appeared to be rolling it around inside her constant moving mouth. That there were no fewer than five Democrat speeches in response to State Union only compounded the confusion. Wouldn't Joe Kennedy's third response actually count as a chapstick commercial? Yeah, it would. Yeah, it would. It would be a chapstick commercial. When a liberal says that, really think about that, folks. But why not just listen to it? Here is some more ugly, ugly Democrats. On one side of the aisle, applause. On the other, Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi saying it all without actually uttering a single word. 
The White House press secretary today had some advice. I think she should smile a lot more often. I think the country would be better for it. Democrats were hardly smiling when President Trump turned to immigration, the deadline to save the dreamers fast approaching. President Trump's offer? In exchange for his border wall and tough new restrictions on legal immigration, a path to citizenship for nearly two million of those undocumented immigrants brought to the country as children. But that olive branch to dreamers followed by this. Americans are dreamers too. His misleading claim about legal family migration then met with boos. Under the current broken system, a single immigrant can bring in virtually unlimited numbers of distant relatives. Under our plan, we focus on the immediate family. More than a dozen Democrats are boycotting the president's speech. Many others will protest in a different way. Here's Nancy Cordes. President Trump will look out on a sea of black tonight, a nod from House Democrats to the movement against harassment. We regard uh, President Trump as uh, offender-in-chief, sexual assaulter-in-chief. Gwen Moore represents Milwaukee. He has denied those allegations, of course. That uh, it is his prerogative to uh, deny them, and it's our prerogative to believe the 1920 women uh, who have said otherwise. The guests they've chosen are meant to send a message, too. Uh, you are the pride of America. Many Democrats are bringing so-called dreamers. The State of the Union is better because of the dreamers. Arizona Republican Paul Gosar does not agree. He contacted U.S. Capitol Police and the Attorney General today, urging them to check ID at tonight's address and arrest any illegal aliens in attendance. Let me ask you about the uh, the... Uh... The, the, the calling on all these people with these special cases, they were all heroic people. I thought going after some of the victims of MS-13 was really rough on those parents. I mean, the idea of being a parent and losing a kid, a child, and then have to go sit there before the American people in agony. I don't know. I don't know. I guess there, maybe there's some educational purpose in it, but I think it could have been done differently. Your thoughts. There they are. It, it, it was an odd feeling watching the speech. You guys may be better political historians than I am, but I don't remember a time uh, when when you would watch a State of the Union address being delivered by a president who is, I guess you could say, actively betraying the country. And I don't think those are those are too strong words. This is a guy who just refused to enact the sanctions that Congress nearly unanimously right. voted for against Russia. And he said, you know, I'm just not going to do it. But I think you make an important point, Chris, in that the defining issue of the Trump administration thus far is how he got into office. It consumes Donald Trump's uh, time. It, can, it is an obsession, if you believe all of the reporting in the, the Michael Wolff book and even not beyond the Michael Wolff book. He spends his time complaining about the prosecutors who are investigating Russian interference, uh, conspiring to fire them, thinking about them, obsessing about them. And then he gives a speech tonight in which he makes it sound like the biggest issue in the United States of the biggest threat is MS-13, a gang nobody that doesn't watch Fox News has ever heard of. So Why it makes it sound that? like they are the biggest Why threat. Why does he do it? Because he, he's playing to the audience 
that he wants applause from. And the audience on the right just wants to hear that. He sounded like a president from the past, and then the second half of the speech was about how all immigrants are murderers, and he needs to stop them from coming to the country through family migration. It was a bizarre two-part okay, speech. I think, Ron, it was a combination of going for that between 39%, which he has now, trying to climb back to high 40s, trying to get that sort of increment back of people who are sort of center-right, who went with him, maybe angry Democrats, resentful Democrats, uh, trying to win them back. But he was cloaking his darker purposes. He was always a lot of candy, a lot of candy coating of the speech tonight. Even all those families, they were all very empathetic or sympathetic families. But the message was, we hate the goddamn North Koreans and we hate the drug dealers and we hate that people that they come from, right? That was yeah, it all about. Right. Immigrants are, are all MS-13 right. members. And I'm sure all of, you know, everybody is, is, you know, going home tonight terrified that MS-13 is going to attack them on the, on the way home. As, as Joy said, <laughs> really, who runs into these people? I'm not saying that they don't exist. Right. But come on, it's not exactly a national... And let's not forget, as we see Attorney General Sessions, this is a president who's under criminal investigation right now for obstruction of justice with regard to the Russia investigation. So, a lot going on in the backdrop. I have the high privilege and the distinct honor of, pre of presenting to you the President of the United States. There is a missing major figure in this hall tonight that we ought not to forget about, and that is the Special Prosecutor of the United States who is at this hour probably meeting with his team. He's not there, where they go hovers. He sort of hovers over right. the chamber, and, doesn't and he? That is an extraordinarily important part of what's going on in Washington, D.C. And despite all of the grandeur of this setting, and the television photos, and the members of the Supreme Court, members of the cabinet, out there is a highly regarded investigator who is looking into whether or not he broke the law. And the Democrats did not applaud the fact that we have better employment numbers, that people have higher wages, that companies are reinvesting in the country. He was taking credit for all of that, and I think they found that insulting since he can't for much of it. And yet, why can't people give him credit for what has happened? Why can't they give him credit for a speech that went... Uh, that people had a chance to see if you're a Democrat, there's something there for you. If you're a Republican, there's something there for you. That it had specifics. I think it, because it, he's it, literally screwed everybody in that room over a few times too many. He's been vulgar. He's it's been not racist. Fair, but this he isn't has fair. accused one of the senators in that room of giving sexual favors for money. He's insulted the wife of a Republican senator in that room in the worst way possible. What about the speech? You, your job, you, what, what you do, speech? Frank, is you read rooms. You tell me what about the that speech? that room is supposed to respond like this to the great dictator? No, but they're not supposed to sit on their hands. Really? And I'm sorry, I'm but, sure. but using a phrase great dictator is not appropriate. Well, that's how he feels of himself. You know, how do they balance the reality that Donald Trump right now is committing a slow motion Saturday night massacre? Uh, at the same time, uh, he, he delivered Here a speech they are, that, lightly clapping, that Frank. I recognize that. Let's see what he says today and tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I acknowledge that. If you're Kirsten Gillibrand, you're really, really <clears throat> wondering. Okay, but.
que utiliza el presidente de nuevo su discurso para estigmatizar a todos los inmigrantes que llegan a los Estados Unidos, porque eh, lo primero que él menciona durante su discurso son estas jóvenes que murieron a manos de las pandillas y pues todo, como tú lo dices, todos los hispanos no somos pandilleros, hay hispanos trabajadores, hay hispanos que están haciendo las cosas bien en este país. Also, African American employment stands at the lowest rate ever recorded and Hispanic American unemployment rate stands at reached its lowest levels in history. I just want to point out, because he started when he was campaigning, started talking about this. He said that 58% of African American youths were unemployed. It was 19.2. The rate has fallen to 7.7, okay? But it's been falling for quite some time. So it didn't happen in the last year. I just... and. and I would say that the, the DACA bill has bipartisan support. It has the support of America. And for this president to conflate the dreamers with gang members, he was demonizing our immigrants here. And I was offended mm -hmm. by his speech, actually. I, I thought that it was extremely divisive. I mean, if he wanted to unite our country, that is not the way you Are do you it. Are you surprised so many people reacted positively? Well, I'm shocked, and I'm also shocked at the numbers, because you said CBS was 70-something, and CNN was 40-something. 48 so and 62 who, who, who were they interviewing? On I don't know. No, I know. Back in the first day of the union, a Republican said, you lie. Obama was lying. That was inappropriate. But during the eight years of Obama... They treated him like a rock star. People were getting autographs. Democrats would get autographs from Obama as he walked down and lick his balls. And all we heard is respect the office of the President of the United States. From no-showing, giving seats to fucking undocumented immigrants, filling the, the gallery with illegal aliens that should have been deported, turning their back on them, not clapping for America, Booing, hissing, and at no time did you hear anybody in the media call him out. Yet we were chastised for eight years. If you didn't think Barack Hussein Obama was the second coming of Jesus Christ, you were an un-American piece of shit communist fuck. That is our main stat of the day. To a music break and news and social media nuggets... We're going to do the number one stadium rock song. I kind of figured this was what it was, but until you go to the Rolling Stones and from 2015, they did the 100 best rock jams. You just don't know. So here it is, Queen. We will rock you.
the street, you're gonna take on the world someday. You got blood on your face, a big disgrace. Waving your banner all over the place. We will, we will rock you. Sing it. We will, we will rock you. Buddy, you're an old man, poor man, pleading with your eyes, gonna make you zombie someday. You got mud on your face, big disgrace. Somebody better put your bag into your place. We will. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, right see these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls and they'll pop your figs. Military Corner, what it's like to be a military guest at the State of the Union. Not going to read it. It's an article by Lakeisha Cole. It's on task and purpose. Very interesting, the process they go through to get there. With the Taliban on the offensive, the future Afghans, Afghanistan may depend on this homegrown commando force. Scary article. Task and purpose, read it. It doesn't give me hope. I didn't have hope when I was over there at the Northern Alliance or the Iraqi forces or anybody else. It's kind of scary. Marine Colonel was drugged in a Colombian pub, then robbed. Now he's forced to retire. His name's Roger T. McDolph, a Harrier pilot. Senior Marine in South Florida, Unit on January 21st of February 4, 2017. Took a trip. Got fucked up because he got drunk. And, yeah, that's kind of a fucked up story. I, I don't want to read it because it hurts my fucking feelings. A conversation I brought up a lot of times was about vaping. Either on the podcast or in person when I talk to people. And I have to tell you, I always thought something could be bad with this. I mean, it can't be healthy because it seems like a lot more smoke than you get with a cigarette. Well, Army issues warning over dangerous vape oils after 60 North Carolina troops from the 82nd Airborne get sickened. That kind of makes sense to me. Just can't be right. And our last military corner before we go into our college crazy, a good one. Committee considers new eligibility standards of more land for Arlington National Cemetery. This is also from Task and Purpose. 
Nikki Wentling from Stars and Stripes wrote it. Arlington National Cemetery, place long viewed as a shrine of American fallen heroes, is nearing the end of its lifespan. But a group of people with a lead role in deciding its future got one step closer to Tuesday to reviving it. Situated in a conference room on the top floor of the hotel overlooking the Pentagon and parts of Arlington National Cemetery, members of the Cemetery Advisory Committee discussed options to keep it viable, including an expansion in fresh territory and changing eligibility standards for burial there. It could end up being probably and most likely over time. Senior enlisted only, war dead officers. I don't have a beef with that. I have no desire to be buried at Arlington. It's a place for heroes. I served, I fought. I got a cool guy award, but it doesn't really mean a whole lot in the scheme of things. should be for the guys that's passed in combat. Which takes us to our college. Not a good segue. Harvard students' identity politics hurts Black Lives Matters. A Harvard University student is ditching her support of the identity politics after her own experience showed her that it was ineffective in discussion. Student Michelle Gao, an Asian American, writes that basing an argument legitimacy on identity leaves the conversation at a standstill. Are you sure? Hmm. In an op-ed for the Harvard Crimson titled, Why I Don't Support Identity Politics Anymore, uh, she writes, the idea failed her after she realized that be- being Asian American didn't make her any more correct on racial issues than her parents. I could never make progress if I kept staking my correctness on being Asian. Under the rules of identity politics, arguing with my parents about race became essentially impossible. They didn't have any reason to oppose whiteness and support black-led movements, she said of her parents who immigrated to America in the 80s, explaining that white people weren't any more racist to them than black people. Soon after urging her parents to support BLM, Gal realized she had lowered the standard of conversation by hedging her arguments solely, solely on her personal identity as an Asian American and overlooking her parents' different perspective. I could never make progress if I keep staking my correctness on being Asian and my experience living with that identity. My parents, who had same marginalized identity, could do the same thing. We've been at a standstill, she argues, before discussing the issue of police brutality, which she believes is wrong because it's directed towards another human. I wanted to make them care about what I saw as unjust killing of innocent people and unjust verdicts freeing culpable cops. But police brutality at its core is not about race. Those acts are wrong because the victim is another citizen, another human. She still ties it back into it. The reality is, you lose your high ground, young lady, when you only care about black people getting killed. Remember, during all these rash of police shootings, there was a white dude butt naked in Florida. He got fucking whacked. Not one liberal pundit talked about So when you're just basing it on skin color, you're the racist. School host workshop on pleasuring of touching yourself. I know a couple months ago we just did this. But this one's better. Go fuck yourself. F. Uh, alligator eating the right. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I just showed my ignorance. 3CK yourself. Getting in touch with yourself by touching yourself. Yeah, that's, that's their flyer. 
Arizona State University students got most soon as a workshop and getting in touch with yourself by touching yourself. While the upcoming event was originally titled Go Fuck Yourself, the workshop current title, Go Love Yourself. Hmm. Getting in touch with yourself by touching yourself. Join pleasure professional Natalie Trias for a shame-free, pleasure-focused discussion about masturbation and self-exploration to get the pleasure you want and deserve. I know these are higher learning institutions, but if you have not learned how to jerk off by the time you went to college, you're doing something wrong. Try a belt sander. That might be fine grit. It's not going to do too much damage. It might give you the vibration you want. Rutgers professor helps librarians avoid virtual microaggressions, and that's exactly what it means. They actually talk about the file system and everything. The virtual referencing service that provides 24-7 online support. And this time a heightened online conflict, the description states. Attendees will be provided with research-based examples and guidelines to help them to both recognize microaggressions and to minimize them to enhance service excellence. So you're microaggressing because somebody can't find a fucking book. That's where we're at 2018. Totally not surprised, but I'm just saying, that's where we're at. In another case of college professors hating American vets, professor uses American flag as a doormat in a college art display. Broward College in Florida cut an American flag in half, painted it white, and laid it on the ground as a doormat for school art display. A BC student is also a Marine Corps veteran, took issue with the display and wrote a letter notifying the school's president. This article has been updated to include a statement from Broward College, and they basically say it's art, go fuck yourself. Yeah. How is that right? How? I don't understand. Right On mandates yearly anti-oppression tra- training. The Right On Club at UPenn has held mandatory anti-oppression training for club members for several years. The training has included power flowers and privilege circles. Mm, let's find out what that is. To do so, each student puts a dot in each category on the paper with dots farther from the center, signifying whether the student has more privilege in that area. Students then connect the dots. And the larger a student's shape was, the more privilege they had. So what are the categories? Where you live, geography, gender, race, wealth, uh, language, household type, age group, class, disability, religion, and sexuality. There it is. Lastly, education. So basically, if you have a religion... You have privilege. That's 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 what I took out of this. Privilege. But I once again just want to say where you live, what your color is, what your race is, what all this other bullshit is, including age group. Those are just crutches, folks. They're just crutches. There's plenty of people who came from shitty places, black, gay, doesn't matter. They made some of themselves because they didn't walk around on crutches. You want to walk around on crutches and always say, it's because I'm this? Well, that's where you're going to end your whole fucking life. And to show that 
you know, that it means so much to our higher learning institutions. In a time where it costs so much to go to college and there's so many problems with our colleges, universities spend 28k on renovations for another LGBTQ center, Ferris State University. The center will be housed within an existing space in the university centers and intend to make sure that students know about the various accommodations available to this population. In another interview with the school newspaper, Berg stressed the university as a whole does a really great job of accommodating gay students and that the overall goal is making sure that we have everything in writing and that we promise to follow through on it. We're really talking about making sure that our students know about our preferred name policy, making sure that we are supporting LGBTQ athletes, making sure that we are supporting our students in the housing environment, and making sure that our classrooms are really inclusive. Also broke down to gay people get special privileges. Okay. Pro-life student group surpasses 1,200 chapters nationwide. I wanted to end like I started with a positive that some things are going well. So that you have a pro-life, that's amazing. Students for Life, the nation's largest pro-life nonprofit, recently surpassed more than 1,200 active student chapters, more than double that of Planned Parenthood. Students involved in the movement spoke with campus reform, expressing confidence that the pro-life generation will be on the right side of history. I want to just pause for a second to go back to the March for Life and the Women's March. We're told there's more pro-choice women than pro-life. Hard to believe that would double the chapters. To Hollywood, acting like our colleges, Law and Order SVU depicts brutal rape of female conservative commentator. This whole thing... Which, by the way, my wife used to watch and stop watching it because they're so goddamn biased. Dude, it was Ann Coulter. It was Ann Coulter. And at the end, the person who fucking beat the fuck out of her got off because the person being raped was so horrible. That was kind of the premise. Kind of goes with our Sarah Sanders and Nikki Haley. It's okay if they're a righty. Margaret Atwood and other feminists helped change discriminatory Canadian anthem Gotta read this one. Canada, continuing to add to its reputation as a land of sensitivity training, is about to make its national anthem abide by the dogma of inclusivity. The Canadian Senate has passed a bill to change the text of O Canada to make it general neutral. The word, in all thy sons command, will be changed to, in all of us command. Ever since the song was installed in 1980, there's been widespread debate as to the necessity of changing the words. But of course, why wouldn't there be? There are women in Canada, and however many other genders is exquisitely PC government recognizes. Similar bills have been deliberated in Parliament, 12 to be exact. The supporters argue the language of sons, discriminatory, but all has been shot down but entrenched Canadian conservatives until now, under Trudeau, so they're going to change the whole fucking thing. Coming to a theater near you, some fucking black activist for BLM is going to... No, you know, I take that back. It's going to be a white activist for BLM. It's going to virtue sing and say something in the national anthem is fucked up. And you'll see bills to change it. And I'm sure that piece of shit from CNL is going to change in God we trust. Because that is some fucking bullshit right there. You can't have church and state. Virgin Atlantic offers love suites on New York flights. I, I don't have to read it. That's that's the that's the whole thing. Love suites. Gonna get a cabin from New York to London, London to New York, and you can get your fuck on. Who is that special? 
Tim Allen takes on political correctness in a new documentary. Not going to read the whole thing, but Adam Carolla and Dennis Prager have done these before. Now they're going to do a new one, No Safe Spaces, which is pretty cool. Um, I'm going to find it and actually play it. Uh, one of his lines, nothing kills comedy quite like people who are constantly offended, which parrots a line that Carolla used to say. Um, there's no direct quotes from that article from Tim Allen, which really kind of bothers me. A gigantic article from the Daily Mail, the State of the Union stats don't lie. Americans are turning against Trump hating celebrities. They break down that a YouGov poll, 97% of Republicans, 72% of independents, and a staggering 43% of Democrats like the speech. Eight in ten Americans in the YouGov poll felt that the president was trying to unite the country. Less than a quarter that watched it said it made them angry. Contrast this reaction with the instant and so tedious, predictable, blind rage spewed by the world's liberal celebrities on social media before, during, and after the address. From my own unofficial poll, my own eyes on Twitter, I'd say 99% of them were so furious at the speech they could barely think straight. He goes over Andy Lasseter of The Ellen Show, Jennifer Wright, Jim Carrey, Patton Oswalt, Jessica Chastain urged people not to watch, Billy Eichel, Eichel the president is a lying, incompetent racist, blah, 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 we covered it, George Tataki covers, but it turned out that the vast majority of Americans did, didn't did agree with them, which suggests they're no longer listening to what celebrities have to say. For more evidence of this, look at the Sunday night's Grammys that turned into a marathon political rally of epic dreary proportions. Rating plunged 24% now. 24. Um, it's hard not to agree with the White House press secretary. I think if America's cared what celebrities thought, then Hillary would be president. Um, that's about it from that article. I thought it was really neat. Uh, they even talk about Cindy Lauper, all these people and how they're basically... This is from overseas, but it goes with the bias thing that uh, Adam Carolla... And Tim Allen are doing. I think over time, it literally is going to show that they have jumped the shark. They've just gone too far. And majority of Americans just ain't on their side on this anymore. They're just not. Um, They even say 115 applause lines was approved by 75% of the country that watched it. That was a question. Too many applause lines. No. 75%. That's data you're not going to get in America. But once again, put it right there. Goes with the total bullshit that's happening on our campuses and our Hollywood. They're not in line with what America thinks. They're pushing too hard and people don't agree with them. Pornhub makes the news. We've covered in the past. They're the ones giving us the stats about who's watching porno. This one's pretty funny. Philly police, heard that you've been looking for an alternative to Crisco for greasing up the polls this weekend. Can we interest you in a few barrels of Pornhub lube? (laughs) I thought that was funny. Which brings us to our one and only Super Bowl story from the nation. The nation says Super Bowl creates militaristic environment, threats illegals, and sex workers. Yeah. Social justice warrior and sports editor for The Nation, David Zarin, is giving new meaning to Media Day at the Super Bowl. It's disdain interviews from military millionaire athletes and billionaire owners, preferred instead of highlight unions, fringe groups, and other hoping to exploit the Super Bowl to gain attention 
for the pet causes. Zane's latest rant concerns hot protests in the ice-cold Super Bowl city of Minneapolis. He gives voice to local unions and a wide array of social justice organizations attempting to be heard over the hype of Super Bowl week. Their battle pits them against the under-discussed economic and social trauma the Super Bowl brings. The plan is to disrupt the narrative that's what the Super Bowl arrives with is not only acceptable, but something to be celebrated. Veronica Menendez-Moore, a representative of Twin City Center, de Trabadios, whatever, about being against a corporate party they're extracting from our communities and creating an environment of militarization while increasing wealth at the top of the expense of those at the bottom. There are real dangers for working people, immigrants, and people of color that come with posting the Super Bowl. It's the danger that arrives with massive expansion of closed circuit television surveillance, hyper-militarized policing, and free entrance of ICE into a space that normally is Sanctuary City. Zarin interviewed Han Ali of the Black Vision Collective, a group demanding law enforcement not cooperate with ICE, so not reporting undocumented people to ICE. We're also asking that sex trafficking victims be treated as victims. We're going to see with the Super Bowl an increase in sex trafficking incidents. And also we want the decriminalization of sex work in general. We're going to see an increase of violence to people who do sex work on a daily basis because of the people, the misogyny, the toxic masculinity that these type of sporting events bring to our communities. Michael Moore, not the other one, a labor head, told Comrade Zirin that the local unions and others in Minnesota have been organizing around the Super Bowl for weeks. Yeah. Transit workers were going to strike to make a point about something. I don't know what that would be. But I, I cover that because here's a headline. Indonesia hardline Muslim push ban on unmarried and gay sex. Jail time. Just remember that. They're pushing to have a code, sex, adultery, to include sex between unmarried people. But America's really fucked up, huh? Yeah. Yeah, we are with stories like this. New York Post is reporting... Saturday that an elementary school at Staten Island has scrapped its traditional father-daughter dance this coming weekend over new transgender, non-conforming student guidelines for the Department of Education. This is what it says. In March, the policy was updated by the Department of Education. We have clear guidelines in place that require school-related events to be inclusive of all students. Father-daughter dances inherently leave people out. Not just because of transgender status, just like in general, said Jared Fox, the Doe's LGBT community liaison. These can be really uncomfortable and triggering events. Eric Walther, is this a joke? Shutting down father-daughter dances is now a necessary part of the fight for gender equality, but it's for the greater good, guys. Stephen Miller sums up my thoughts on it. Social justice the hell out of those kids. The hell out of the kids. Yeah. That's America right now. If they're not protesting about a million things because of the Super Bowl, which is going to give them so much money, help people, help waiters, increase people's pocketbook, it's just not the companies, it's the individual workers. They're protesting that. They protest father-daughter dance. How about parent and sibling dance or child dance? Would that be okay for you? Dad can bring... 
his dude daughter would that make no everything has to be wiped out two little stats they usually go in this segment till we go into our lighter fare <clears throat> the number of people using facebook in north america dropped for the first time 184 million are using it it's dropped 1 million viewers does not say if it has more to do with the Russia, 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 so the resistance is not doing it, or people are just sick of the censoring that's going on. I know personally, talked to a lot of conservatives and conservative independents like myself, I don't use it that much anymore. Just the whole thing burned me out. And then Twitter has the same problem. Once they went after the Russian bots, celebrities have lost millions of followers. So, in their quest to get Russia, 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 it looks like Twitter wiped out everything. Because I'm sure it wasn't all Russian bots. But, you know, I'm glad with it. I hope Twitter and Facebook hit hard times, lose money, because they're fucking horrible. They're a horrible influence influence on America. And I think we really all need to take a break. Take a 30-day break. Just don't. For 30 days, your life is better. Two are lighter, fair. Our lighter fare is pretty freaking funny because your taxpayer money paid for this. This is actually a real thing. This is not a spoof. This isn't from The Onion. Data scientists explain why you're more likely to be intelligent, wait for it, if you eat curly fries. There, there are random correlations people have found that if you like curly fries on Facebook, you're more likely to be intelligent. Uh, Hawaii, like no clue. Uh, just everything correlates with everything. It's, it's some weird correlation. Um, Seth Stevens Vidowitz, a writer for the New York Times, a former Google data scientist, and I'm the author of the book Everybody Lies. Everything you do correlates with something else you might do. That's just the way the world works. If you wear blue shirts, you're more likely to do something than people who wear red shirts. You know, it may be a small difference, it may be a huge difference, but in general, uh, everything you do has some predictive power for something else you'll do. Historically, uh, companies have only known five or six things about you. They knew, uh, you know, maybe your, your race, your religious background, what school you attended, your income, your previous employment history. And then uh, lawyers or uh, politicians could determine what are companies allowed to use. If, you know, if they know six things, well, they can't use these two things. But now we're entering a world where employers know a million things about you. Uh, they know everything on your social media. They know a lot of your purchase history. They know maybe things you've done on computers in various, uh, in, uh, in various places. Many of these things are going to correlate with your likelihood of being a high, uh, a productive employee. Uh, there, there are random correlations people have found that if you like curly fries on Facebook, you're more likely to be intelligent. Uh, Hawaii, like no clue, uh, just everything correlates with everything. It's, it's some weird correlation, but you could imagine a world where employers would be wise to give you a, a downgrade if you don't like curly fries, if you like straight fries instead of curly fries. I think the legal and ethical framework is not prepared for big data. I always like to end the show after Lighter Fair with something that kind of points out 
a synopsis on the show or where we are. And with us leading off the memo, I got to end with the memo because I think this soundbite sums up the media, their complicity in a fake dossier to get a fake FISA warrant that illegally wiretaps on Americans and a campaign to the opposition that they don't agree with. And it also points out the Trump derangement syndrome that's so rampant. This is Chuck Todd. I'm sure his Meet the Press show today on the 4th of February, your Lord of our, year of our Lord 2018, sounded just like this. The House Republican Intel folks are, are actually making their partisan case look even worse right now because they're releasing excerpts of the memo already to friendly media outlets, almost trying to build a narrative and control the headlines, the early headlines, and create this sort of, uh, feed, you know, help feed a feeding frenzies. But I think it only lessens the impact of the memo itself because the whole thing just smacks of a partisan exercise. Here you have an echo chamber where people who right. go to one news organization or another are going right. to be reaffirmed. The president will will watch Fox News and say, you see, I really was being victimized. Right. And by the time the Democratic memo, if they do decide to sure. release something, uh, catches up with it or commentary. The president's actions here only raise the suspicion of those that aren't sort of, you know, in his, in his sort of... Uh, in his Kool-Aid orbit, you know, outside of the Kool-Aid orbit, everybody else is wondering, why is he denying, why, why is he so trying to thwart this investigation so much? We are in our 21st month of Russia, Russia, Russia. And when you say, like he did, that the president is trying to thwart an investigation, that investigation has been going on for 21 months and you found nothing. There's nothing there. Remember, the nation said there's nothing there. The nation is the only liberal source and only source that I know of that outright just said it's all bullshit. There's no way you could have got a data transfer that fast from Russia. Had to be a thumb drive. Had to be somebody on the inside that handed that shit over. That started everything. That's where Russia, Russia, Russia started. The hack of Hillary's server. The hack of the DNC. These all were inside jobs. So I think it sums up our media. It sums up the resistance. Whenever things don't comport with their worldview, Chuck Todd comes out and acts like the DNC Stafford married to a wife, throws birthday parties for Jennifer Palmieri, who is the campaign director for Hillary Clinton. And that's our news. That's why this country won't move forward. You lost an election. You don't like it. And we are now in the 13th month of a Republican presidency. And we haven't changed since November 9th. 2016. So this wraps up another episode of Flower Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends and send comments by emailing F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Make sure you check out the Flyover Politic webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com to see links to feeds for the show, our Facebook page. Email us a link to every episode on the episode release page and our blog on 
the blog page. I hope you have a fantastic week. Enjoy the Super Bowl tonight. Go Eagles. I said it. I hate them, but I don't want the Patriots to win. Stay healthy. Stay warm. Stay away from people with the flu because it's killing people left and right. Tune back in next Friday. The, uh, what the hell is Friday? I usually have this pen down. I didn't even pen it. Friday would be the 9th of February, Year of Our Lord, 2018, for a weekend review on whatever crazy shit came out of here. And as I say, ending every show, disconnect from your apps, your iPods, your pads, your tablets, your computers, your Macs, and your phone. Spend time with your family, because this is a short ride. You don't want any regrets, so make every day count. And as we head out, decided to have a closing bumper, just like an opening bumper. So thanks to my better half for making it. Have a great week. Thanks for listening, and take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Make sure to check out our webpage at FOP. P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Until next time, remember it's a short ride. Make every day count.